We're mobile right now, so I'll give you guys the scene. I'm at a hydro generation station. There's a big dam above us, and there's penstocks running down past us, and a beautiful ravine where the river runs through and the salmon come up, and there's a hiking trail here. And here we're parked with the, our, our little enclosed trailer here that's converted into a, a motorcycle hauler and, and sort of liveaboard thing. And we're connected to our own power. We've got a solar panel on the roof, and we're using cellular to get internet access. And the dogs, I've got two dogs beside me. One of them is a beagle, and she's snoring. And, yeah, that's what's happening. And it's starting to sprinkle rain, too, so I'm hoping the rain holds off because it rains hard. It's a tin roof, right? <laughs> oh, lovely. I know. Even though it's insulated, it's a tin roof, and you certainly hear everything. So. Yeah, I gotcha. Welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw, the spin-off of Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month. Both Adventure Rider Radio Raw and Raw are produced by Elizabeth Martin and myself, Jim Martin. We also produce another podcast called Beyond a Shadow, and links to all of those shows are on the website www.adventureriderradio.com. So on this episode of Raw, we discuss listener questions. We had a, bunch, a whole bunch of uh, listener input here from multi-climate, long-distance touring clothing, uh, what we wear, to uh, adventure snobbery. I thought this was a really good one because um, there's uh, there's those that feel there's a certain bar to be attained as far as distance or countries or whatever it is before um, it becomes a real adventure. We talk about that. It's interesting to hear the opinions of seasoned travelers like we have on this show. Automatic motorcycles, meaning automatic transportation missions, how the group feels about the coming of them, and uh, you know, these are touchy things nowadays. A lot of people seem to have opinions about it, and we have, certainly have some on here. How to handle language barriers when traveling. This is great for anybody who's interested in traveling, even if you aren't going by motorcycle. Some good suggestions and ideas with that. Also, micro-adventures, and what do seasoned travelers think of micro-adventures? And I think this is a great question, because we talk with many listeners who only do short rides, and they often ask about that. What about these short rides? Are they adventures? And, oh, we do a lot of yakking about that, and a whole bunch more so stay with us and as you know adventure rider radio is powered by some ads and your support and it's adventure rider radio that keeps raw running so we have a support page set up at uh, www.adventureriderradio.com you can support with any amount anything ten dollars or more is going to get you a, an arr motorcycle sticker sent back at you as a token of our appreciation anything fifty dollars or more gets you a mention on this show right now and that's what i'm about to do right now you can opt out for that as well if you want to if you want to support with that much and not have your name read that's fine you can do that as well so for this month we've had some very generous listeners who've donated fifty dollars or more and i want to give a shout out to them the first one is james savage thank you very much wesley william again thank you david and m morrison really appreciate that maraji Schillern. Um, all of you, thank you very much. And of course, if you've supported with less, we certainly appreciate it just the same too. We just love getting the support from listeners. And uh, let me first mention, we have a patron account set up as well that we um, were suggested to set this up with listeners where you can sign up for monthly support. That's the absolute best for us, definitely. Look, on an average month, we do about four or five Adventure Rider radio episodes and one raw episode. So it's quite a bit of production for each month. And if you'd like to consider adding your name to the list of support, on Patreon, that we would be just so grateful. It would just be amazing. I, I like to use the analogy of the coffee and the muffin or bagel. You know what pleasure you get from a coffee and a muffin or a bagel and how much it costs? Then think about how much pleasure you get from Adventure Rider Radio or Raw and consider, is it worth throwing a few bucks directly into the shows that you enjoy regularly? Well, we hope you will say yes. 
Anyway, that's all on our website, www.adventureriderradio.com. And of course, all the shows are there to listen to. If you choose not to support, they're still there for you to listen to. We appreciate you listening. So here we go. Adventure Rider Radio Raw for June 2018. Okay, well now, because Raw is what it is, it's Raw, I'm going to give you a little insight into the background of what's going on. Here, Grant is AWOL on us. We can't find him, which is very unusual for Grant. And we sort of have an idea where he is, and we're now searching the globe to try and find him. And here's what happened. I've just realized I've got one of the um, organizers' um, telephone numbers, so I'm just going to give him a quick buzz. I'll just get rid of my headphones a second. Thank you. I'm just calling basketball pole now. I don't know where she's going. She's it's unlike Grant not to be the one connected. He's usually the first one in. Yeah. I, I was not oh, aware about of Grant Johnson at the moment. Okay, thank you very much. He was just trying his room. Okay. Uh, Conan's telephone's um, off, so I've just left a message. Oh, thank, thanks ever so much. He's not in his room. The guy's just going to check the office behind him. This is going to be a funny old show, isn't it? Because we've got some magic questions here, but we're already um, a quarter of the way into it. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we'll, yeah, I'll yeah. put this part in as well. Looking for Grant. <laughs> where's Grant? Like, where's what's his name? Somewhere in the world, but lost. So right now, somebody's physically checking an office to see if they yeah, can find Yeah, someone's it. physically checking the office behind. I can visualize the place because I was there last year. It's so refreshing to be able to pick up a phone and speak the language. You can't do this in Bulgaria. Oh, hey, Grant Johnson's typing something on Skype. Oh, so yes. I'm seeing something coming up. Hello, all. <laughs> I'm going to answer. Hello. Where are you? Ready to jump in, he says. Okay, okay great. I'm going to have to stay on hold here because <laughs> otherwise they're going to... I'm going to have to tell the guy, sorry, we found him now. Thank you. Hello. Hello. I'm here. Believe Ron, it or I've, not. I've got the I've got the guy from the front desk looking for you right now. I'm on hold while he's looking for you. <laughs> okay, well they found me. That was very cool. Graham called Baskerville Hall to get you page. That was very cool. <laughs> yes. For those I'm who still haven't on been hold because I think it's rude it's so to, cool. <laughs> to just go. Susan's going to go down and tell him that. Okay, can you tell him I'm going to it now? She's not me minutes. That's fine. That's probably (laughs) David, who is the owner of Baskerville Hall. Oh, hello. It's all right. Don't worry. We've got him now. And um, Susan's after you to tell you not to bother looking for him anymore. Thanks ever so much for your trouble. Cheers. Okay, bye. Okay, well, meanwhile, let's start the show, shall we? Okay, yes. Okay, okay that sounds fine. Already? Is it, everybody ready? Are you sure you guys are ready? I think we're ready. Is, is any, ready, yeah. anyone not ready? Okay. From the Canoe West Media yeah. Studio. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. This show's big, so I'm, I'm going home. Oh, hang on a minute. I am Yes, and I'm sorry, Brian and Shirley. I know you would have loved to have another half hour of sleep. <laughs> 
from the QS Media Studio on the shores of uh, Campbell River, actually on Vancouver Island, British Columbia. It is June 2018, and welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind, completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name's Jim Martin, and today the virtual roundtable afforded through the magic of the internet. I'm joined by our regular Overland co-hosts, Shirley and Brian. How you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. Good morning, good morning. It's still dark here. Yeah, good morning, thrill seekers. And of course, that's Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks, and you guys are in Australia, and you're you're sort of going into winter now. It is winter now, and um, we've had lots of rain and frosts, and it's a bit chilly, and the days are very short, but um, yeah, it's, it's still good fun down here. Yeah, we've still been able to get a ride in here and there. I think it's been three days since I was able to get on the bike. So yeah, no dramas. You're sort of the same as, as we are on the West Coast here. You, you can pretty much ride the whole winter. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. We can ride the whole winter. It's just um, whether it's raining or not. So that's okay. And we don't get the snow that uh, you guys do in Canada there. But, uh, yeah, we, 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 you know, you can ride up through the snow fields here in uh, Australia, but you don't have to. And there's plenty of places to go riding. You guys um, are heading off for your big trip soon, aren't you? You, you guys are going to Europe. Yep, we are. We've got about six weeks before we leave. Yeah, I rode Big Red a thousand kilometres up to Sydney, and uh, she's in a a container heading across the oceans to uh, Felixstowe in the UK. We will pick her up, and away we'll go, and we'll do Eastern Europe, um, Northeastern Europe. And Big Red is the old battered old GS. It's done two hundred and seventy thousand kilometres and still chugging along okay. What year is it? It's a, I bought it in December 08, so, yeah, so, you know, she's she's getting on a bit now but doesn't use any oil, never been cracked open, never had a new clutch or gearbox or anything like that done. Graham, did you hear that? Nothing wrong with it at all <laughs> after 270,000 Ks. Can I say, Brian, you're just... You're in a BMW sort of... dealership. <laughs> <laughs> you know that now everything's going to go wrong with that bike in Europe. Yeah, I was just thinking yeah. the same thing. I thought you were bragging here and left. Wait till, we, wait till we hear what this trip was like. You better be grabbing that wooden table with all your arms and all of your strength. <laughs> I, I, that's exactly what I'm doing, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, next we have Graham Field, who you just heard there. But Graham, you're not in Bulgaria. You're you're traveling. I am Welsh traveling. I'm in England. Yeah, a place I know quite well. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's the place? My mum's house, the dispatch room. <laughs> I'm in the dispatch room. Where's your mum anyway? You, you, maybe you should have brought her along with you. Oh, she went to bed. Unfortunately, she's caught me cold, so she went to bed early. And oh. anyway, I don't want her looking over my shoulder while I'm trying to broadcast to the world. <laughs> <laughs> and Sam Manicom, who's also, you're at home now, Sam, right? I am indeed, yeah, back in the UK. What are you doing at home? Well, at the moment, I'm sitting at my desk um, on a balmy summer's evening. It's 14 degrees Celsius outside and just out of the way. People are having barbecues in their back gardens and all of that sort of stuff. If you can hear a dog barking, then that's one of the ones that's obviously wanting a sausage. Um, but no, seriously. No, it's um, it's really good to be back in the UK again. I had a fantastic trip over in the States and um, spent the last week and a half playing catch up on all the emails and everything else. And um, now we're up and rolling into the next events and that sort of thing. And I'm actually getting some writing done too, which is really nice. I've been so busy organizing stuff for the last couple of years. I haven't actually got a huge amount of writing done. So it's good fun. You mean a new book? 
No, no, not a new book, but um, some articles and things like that. And um, yeah, some bits and pieces. I'm doing some product reviews as well, which is kind of nice. Um, means that I'm trying a few things that um, I wouldn't ordinarily have, have tried. You just mentioned your trip that you came back from in the States. How long were you in the States for? Is it three weeks? Um, four weeks this time. Four weeks. Um, so not not very long, but um, crammed a huge amount in, covered an awful lot of miles. Um, and I bought myself a motorcycle while I was over there. Oh, you did? Wow. Okay, great. Mm. Was it the one you were looking at before? Um, I was looking at a few, and um, this one, um, it's an F800 GS, and it belongs to a really good friend, um, Mark Carrera. Um, he works for Outback Motor Tech, and this was his um, personal bike, so it's got um, some very nice bash pates and bash bars and things like that on, which, of course, with my reputation, everybody knows I'm going to need. Um, but um, I bought it using um, the last of the um, insurance money, so after I'd paid the medical bills and things like that after my accident last year, there was just enough left to buy it, and I thought, yeah, okay, this is a, a really good way to, to use that money, so... I'm going to kit it out with um, panniers and and so on, and I'm just going to leave stuff there um, so that it's ready for me when I go over to the States. Um, and that's going to be kind of nice. Do you know, one of the things that's been really nice is people lending me bikes, but every time I've um, run the risk of dropping it, I've just thought, no, you can't do this. This belongs to somebody else. And if it's my bike, well, my attitude's going to be, okay, well, that's another s- souvenir of Sam being stupid. And that's fine. <laughs> Souvenirs are just signs of adventures as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, I'm really excited about this. Um, it's got to be a little and, bittersweet, uh, too, because you buy a new bike, I mean, a new bike to you, and then you have to leave it there. And you you might be months, maybe a year before you go back. Um, it's going to be getting on for that. Um, there are a few things that we've been um, doing to it. Mark's been absolutely brilliant with his time and his expertise, and um, several of his friends have jumped on board as well, which has been great. Um, I'm going to end up with a, a bike that's, um, although a reasonably high mileage, although not in comparison to Libby, of course, um, it's going to be a sweet bike to ride. And I like the riding position of the F800. Um, and uh, yeah, but it's, it does feel very odd having to, to leave it there. But you can imagine the smile on my face next time I go back and she's going to be there. Oh, hang on a minute. It's obviously a she. That's the first time I've called the bike male or female. So she's going to be waiting there for me. Very nice. Yes, that'll be a different experience for you for sure. And uh, mm. also frees you up a little bit. It's been great. You know, people have been very, very generous and that's typical um, Americans. The generosity in the States is absolutely phenomenal. Um, And I really appreciate people lending me their bikes. But when I've been riding, I've been thinking, I'm riding a bike now that I couldn't afford to buy. What happens if something goes wrong with it? And of course, that accident um, was the perfect example. So, but hey, all the the, the silver linings. um, And you know, I'm a great believer in those. We also have Grant Johnson with us, but we really had to hunt to get Grant. And Grant, where are you now? I'm at Hub UK in Baskerville Hall. And you weren't here when we started recording, actually. We had to, I mean, I think there was a, a bunch of different methods. There was Facebook, there was Skype, there was uh, messaging, like text messaging. And then Graham Field had to phone Baskerville Hall to have somebody <laughs> physically go and find you. <laughs> Well, um, I have very little excuse, but the only excuse I've got is we're really busy getting organized for the event. It's huge, <laughs> isn't crazy. it, this event? This is, this is your biggest one? 
This is our biggest one. We've got a really good pre-reg turnout. We're very, very pleased. Much better even than last year. So we're looking for a very good crowd. The weather's fantastic. Our lineup of presenters is absolutely stunning. We've got over 100 presentations this weekend. So it's going to be a very, very busy week. Um, I think we've got five things going at once, most of all of Saturday. In fact, I think we've got six things going part of Saturday. Um, there's just so much going on. It's crazy. So it's going to be really good. We're really looking forward to it. Well, when people are listening to this now, it, it'll be over, but so they'll have to watch for it for next year. Yes, absolutely. Sign up for next year. We'll have registration open soon <laughs> for next year. Same location. And, and this venue, if you've never been here, it's absolutely stunning. I think the place was built in 1823. It's one of the old great halls. And it is the Baskerville Hall that the Hound of the Baskervilles was based on. Hmm. This is the place. So it's Very really cool. quite cool. You walk into the front door and there's this literally a grand staircase going up with red carpet and all these exotic, wonderful carvings and ancient paintings and everything. It's just an amazing venue. Is the hub meet the only thing that's going on there this weekend? This weekend? Oh, yeah. We take over the whole place. It's all wow. ours. How big is it? Um, I forget how many rooms in the place, but there's at least 20-odd hotel rooms. Uh, there's half a dozen dorms, which hold another 60 people, if I remember rightly. And the field out front, the old... Um, what they would have called the old garden in the front. The front. We've got uh, room for quite a few vendors. There's the main field. A small field has room for about 100 tents, and the big field will hold about three or 400 tents. Easy, wow. with room, lots of room to spare. Not crowded at all. Very nice. Well, oh, yeah. now that we have everyone here, let's jump right in. We've got some good stuff here we're going to talk about, and um, I, I think everything we have here it comes from listeners so I'll just jump in with the first one. John Cello, uh, he wrote in, he was just wondering uh, what everyone wears on their multi-climate long-distance touring. Uh, he's talking about uh, jacket, pants, boots, helmet, uh, base and mid-layers, heated gear, etc. Now, we, we've talked about this kind of stuff before, um, but maybe we can just sort of, if everybody just sort of gives a uh, maybe a rundown on what they, maybe what you like and also maybe what you do different than, than you think that other riders are doing. Sam? Well, I, was, I thought you were giving me the perfect build-up to what I wanted to talk about, and then you didn't. You changed it at the last minute. Darn it. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. What did you John, want to talk about? <laughs> okay, first of all, hi, John. Um, I want to talk about the equipment that I used when I was on the big trip and the equipment that I use now because there's a significant difference. I mean, I've got seven key items of equipment. And on the big trip, um, I wore a leather jacket because that was marked in a sale as XXL, and I'm only an L, um, and it fitted me perfectly. So it was 20 pounds instead of 180 pounds. I had a waterproof over jacket, and that was by a company called Bellino. And the idea of that was that it would be keep me waterproof dry on the bike, but then I could be walking around and using it as a sort of Packamac type thing. I had heavy canvas jeans with layers in, in the, the knees and motocross and shin pads. And the idea was that it was practical, multi-use. I could wear the trousers either with the protection or without them. And, of course, they were cheap because I'd made them myself. Um, I had good quality um, leather motorcycle boots. And uh, what a good decision that was. I mean, I had one accident where the sole was actually ripped off my left boot. And you know, just the thought of what my foot would have been like without that. I had motorcycle, um, motocross fabric gloves on from Hein Gericke. 
and um, a, no, a, a set of no-brand winter gloves. And I still have them, but I never wear them. Um, underlayers, well, my underlayers were fleece, and I flipping well froze. Um, and I had a showy open face helmet, which for me was, um, I, it just ended up being too open to the weather and to stones being flicked up. And, you know, I broke my jaw because of um, landing chin down um, first with a fall off. But now um, I've got a little bit more knowledge and um, equipment is an awful lot better now than it was back then. Um, I wear um, a Corazi 2 Cordura jacket by a company called Hell Held. And this has got quality armor in all of the right places and lots of vents. And the reason that I went for this jacket was because I wanted something that was going to be suitable for um, all seasons. So it's got a huge number of vents in it, but these vents can be closed, to cr closed over. Um, and instead of having um, a separate waterproof jacket, this thing is really clever in that it's got a Gore-Tex waterproof liner, which you can either wear inside the jacket or you can wear outside. And so that means that it's, um, you've got no messing around trying to put um, you know, take your bike jacket off to fit um, a waterproof layer on underneath when the rain's about to start. But also you can use that for just wandering around. And I really like that combination. Um, for, for bad weather, um, held again, motorcycle trousers. I really like the protection and the way they're cut. For summer wear, um, I tend to wear Kevlar lined um, summer jeans. And this is what I was wearing in the accident last June. And they were absolutely fantastic. Uh, but I've not managed to find a replacement yet. So my eyes are open for those. Altberg boots. Now, these are calf lengths. And I like these because um, they give me protection on the motorcycle, um, but also they're great for hiking off the bike. So for a bigger overlanding trip, I've just got to carry my flip-flops and my Altberg boots and that's it, nothing else, which cuts down on the weight quite significantly. Um, held again, you know, I'll keep mentioning Held, but um, I've become a real fan of, of their gear. It's a family firm from Germany. They've been in the business for 70 odd years and they got really well thought out and well made equipment. And these, the gloves are a perfect example of that. These are the air and dry gloves. And I like them because they've got two compartments within the same hand shape. One is um, Gore-Tex. Um, and the other, you can just move that Gore-Tex layer to one side and you're riding with your hands in um, a vented um, kangaroo leather. So you've got a really good feel. But that means that you've just got double um, usage out of one, pairs of, one pair of gloves. Um, John asked um, about heated, heated clothing and things like that. I've got a, a Gerbing's um, heated jacket and I love it. It's just brilliant kit. There have been times when it's been warmer sitting on the bike wearing that and riding than it has been off the bike and walking around. Um, highly recommend heated jackets. And I do love showy helmets and I've got a, a showy Neotech 2. Um, I love the fact that it's flip front, it's quiet, it's really comfortable. Um, it's It's just fantastic um, um, helmet to wear. I'm a great believer in layers. Um, partly that they have to be suitable to wear on the bike according to temperature conditions, but also they've got to be practical enough to be worn off the bike too. So, um, you know, I, I don't want to be carrying equipment that will do um, only one thing or the other. They've got to do both jobs. 
Um, and I, I don't have any particular preference for companies on that. I just pick up what's ever on offer and it either works or it doesn't. I tend to look for silk or for, for fleece type. They tend to, to cover um, most of the bases for me. Um, I've never worn any really expensive um, um, underlayers. Um, so I may well be missing out. I may be um, not realizing the value of them. Wow, that's a full-on kit. You've uh, you really went through and thought about that. Do you actually remember what you wore exactly when you did your round-the-world trip? Oh, absolutely. You know, so much thought went into that because it was one of the things that I could think about. I knew nothing about motorcycles and motorcycling, so it was a case of, well, what do you know something about that you can think about? And most of that was just common sense, as in you've got to stay warm and dry and comfortable. Um, you've got to be cool when you need to be, and you've got to be safe. And those are the key things, aren't they? Do you think you're safer in your gear that you have now than you were when you went around the world? Or do you think um, it's just yes, more I comfortable? Do. you think it's safer? No, I do think it's safer. I think the, the quality of um, uh, uh, armoured gear is just that much better now than it was back then. Um, uh, you know, what somebody, somebody very smart once said, anybody can travel in discomfort. Um, and I think well-designed gear is just pure common sense because why would you travel in discomfort if, you, if you've got a choice to do anything else? But I dread the thought that somebody feels that they might have to spend all their savings on the best quality gear and then don't have enough money to do a big trip. It's mm. that battle, isn't it? It's the constant juggle between the two things. Well, gear is expensive. I mean, you mentioned some helmets. Uh, helmets, uh, it can be really, really expensive and yeah, it's, a, it's the debate of how much you want to put into it. I know that um, there's a, a fellow named David Huff who's well-known in the motorcycle industry, riding for many years. He's not riding anymore, but um, he's, he was in the industry for many, many years. And, and his thing with clothing was, he was saying, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, as far as protection goes, it does very little. You know, as far as you hitting an object, it does nothing. Um, that's obviously uh, not going to save you. But being comfortable and dry uh, and warm will make you more alert as a rider. So actually make you safer because of the gear you're wearing, even though it may not have the abrasion resistance that you would like or, or have some magic ability to stop you, you know, st slow your impact when you're hitting something. Um, comfort is, is really important for us on motorcycles. I totally agree. I mean, if you're comfortable, then you get less tired, don't you? Because mm -hmm. you're not fighting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Graham, what are you wearing? What am I wearing? What are you wearing? <laughs> no, I asked you first. <laughs> no, that was a that was a leading question. <laughs> My goodness. Come on, Graham, sock it to us. Oh well, I've regressed actually. I mean, back in the early eighties when I started riding, I was like the leather jacket dude, and I've kind of gone back to that. Um, I went through the whole Gore-Tex Thinchulate thing, and I just rode back from Bulgaria last week, and I just like wearing my leather jacket, and. Um, I can push up the sleeves a little bit if it's warm and I can undo the front zip a little bit. And I've got a sort of little cheap ass mag that I put over the top if it rains and it just kind of feels good. So I've gone back to the leather jacket. Um, I've got former boots, which I just love quite often when you see anybody on any forum ask what boots anybody who's worn former will promote them passionately and I love them. They're so comfortable. It almost eliminates the need for taking trainers with you because they are so comfortable to walk in. And uh, so I love my former boots. I've got some old um, Harley, they turned out to be made by Harley Davidson or at least got the Harley Davidson brand made on them. They're these trousers. And I like them because they zip 
right from the top of your waist all the way down to the bottom of your legs and they've got the zip, double zips so if you're in hot traffic you can undo the zips from your waist to your knee and up from your ankles to your knee and uh, might not look very nice but you're getting a lot of air in there so i've got those and and i tend to go for fingerless gloves whenever i can wear fingerless gloves i do because i like to have the ability to be able to feel what's going on around me if you've got your heat grips on you can feel the heat more with fingerless gloves but if i'm riding the super cold then i've got heated socks and i have got heated gloves which are a hundred times better than heated grips um and like sam was saying heated jacket is fantastic um i've got a it's i know it's pronounced it's k-e-i-s kiss heated jacket and the great thing about them is they count as a sweatshirt or whatever as well so they're not solely a heated jacket you can wear them when you're off the bike and you just need that extra layer so that's some of my things are good quality like my boots my kiss jacket um and a lot of it are cheaper stuff um which are just uh, i enjoy i feel comfortable in and you don't worry about it so much when it gets broken lost ripped whatever so that's what i'm wearing you know, it obviously depends on what climate you're riding in, you know, what works the best. If you're riding in a real wet climate, you're going to need something that's, that gives you some sort of protection. And, and that doesn't, like, I, I think at least for my thought process anyway, is that ra- rain gear all the time, um, if you're in a wet environment, just doesn't work. It's, it's, it's cumbersome to put on and take off, et cetera. So it's nice to have some waterproof um, riding clothes that, that you can wear without anything over top of them. My thought anyway. But Grandma's going to say, what, what do you do when it's pouring rain with a leather jacket? Like, it's not waterproof, right? Well, no, when I came, I, I rode through some pissing rain in Germany the other day. And I've got this little cheap-ass plastic thing. It doesn't breathe. It's all sweaty and everything. But I just, it folds up small. And I put that on over my leather jacket and do it up. It's really small. It's really tight. And it's got a little bit of Velcro around the collar that almost reaches. And uh, <laughs> I got that on. So it keeps, um, it works really well as, as just keeping the leather jacket dry because yeah we all know what a, i'm sure we all remember what a wet leather jacket feels like it quadruples the weight of it and it, they're really not very um waterproof however and i may have got this wrong i thought the point of john's question was what we take um rather than, i mean we could we could go on all day and we already have about you know all the different equipment but it's about what we what i thought it was about what we take because you can't take everything but what you take for the all the different climates you encounter and was that not the point of his question yeah i think you've got it i mean you see he's saying a, a multi-climate long distance touring um so yeah yeah what you're taking to, to cover all of that stuff that's why i asked about the leather jacket because to me that i thought i was thinking the leather jacket like i used to have one but i was thinking the leather leather jacket was more of warm weather stuff you know not something you want to wear if you're in extended wet season or you know it's just um leather always seems to me that it's not uh i don't know it's, it's not very uh flexible you know it's it's sort of great for that nice weather nice for the s- sunshine that's it i don't know with the heated Jim. jacket on it it works in the winter with the waterproof um cover on it it works in the wet and in the hot weather i think there's still an not even obviously there's clothing there you can get a lot more ventilation i've got this totally vented jacket that i bought out of a bargain basement box i call it my tea bag because it's like wearing a tea bag you know all the air just goes right through it but um actually i think they're quite first time really into wearing my leather jacket again now i like it i've still got my leather jacket from the trip and um i mean i rode for eight years with it um, and I chose a, um, a leather jacket rather than a fabric jacket because I reckoned, well, I was going to fall off. Um, I could always stitch a patch on to a leather jacket and it wouldn't make any difference to the integrity at all. 
but um, stitching on through a Gore-Tex, um, yeah, it just doesn't work quite as well, does it? But we did find that wearing the leather when it was really cold, um, without heated clothing underneath, was phenomenally cold. We could never get warm underneath the leather, even with lots of layers. Um, but um, as soon as we we bought um, heated heated stuff, that's it, um, magic. We smiled every day. How about you, Grant? Well, I'm just listening to the two somewhat different worlds and agreeing, disagreeing, yeah, a bit of both. Um, on our round-the-world trip, we wore leather all the way, and I wouldn't even consider doing it again. <laughs> leather is is nice. It's, it's cool. Not that I'm saying it's cool in the temperature-wise, in the other cool. And the biggest problem that we found was, like Sam found, you could never get warm. And we did have electric vest, but you put an electric vest underneath it. And then you had to put a rain shell on the outside to keep the wind out because otherwise it would still go through the leather and the heated vest was just working its heart out. With a rain shell on top, it was okay for warmth. That part was all right. But don't get it wet no matter what. And if you go for a swim, as I did, um, being the human dipstick, checking the road ahead, and discovering <laughs> that um, up to my armpits was a little deeper than I really wanted to ride the bike through. However, I'm now soaking wet, right? Um, don't make the mistake I made with leather of sticking it in the closet and I'll take care of it tomorrow and then not getting around to it. It's a mm -hmm. really, really bad idea. Because it will start, especially in South America, it will start to grow things inside. Three days later, I took him out of the closet, went to put on the pants, and there was about a half an inch of fuzz inside all of it. Kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it, where the fuzz came from? Was it from you or was it from the environment? Uh, actually, I think it was from the water that I was swimming in. <laughs> it was really gross. <laughs> No, no, it was from the water. From the, from the water. It wasn't me. <laughs> the conversation is suddenly slipping down. Yeah, I, I realized yes. that's why I stopped. <laughs> anyway, I had to wear those pants. I literally just turned them inside out, scraped the worst of it off, put them on and rode. And it was the grossest feeling I've ever had in my life. So I've kind of been put off leather by that. However, having road raced in it and crashed in Leather is wonderful if you're going to hit the pavement at speed. Um, but I think with modern synthetics and especially um, with good padding inside, um, I wouldn't go back. I, mean, I remember when I got my first um, one-piece leather suit and the tailor asked me, Do you, would you like padding with that? Well, yes, please. I mean, this is, this is 1972. And uh, I got a second layer of leather for padding protection on the knees and the elbows, which I discovered at about 120 miles an hour bouncing down the road does nothing. You go right through it instantaneously. Yeah, well, and I still like, got the scars to prove it. That's exactly what I was referring to that David Huff was saying is, uh, um, is that the, you know, we, we get a lot, often when people buy gear, they're buying it in this, with this misconception that it's going to save them if they go skidding down the road. And it's simply not the case. I would disagree with that. I think well, that well, used to be true. But hang on, though. But would you say that? Anymore. But but the thing is, it won't save you at all from from an impact of something. You can have all the armor, body armor you want on. The thing is, if you slide down the road and you hit something, it has nothing to do with the gear that you're wearing, really. Um, to an extent, I would disagree with that, hmm. because modern yeah. armor is giving you a lot better protection than no armor. 
the amount of impact that modern armor re, uh, protects you from is very significant. However, having said that, if you are doing 80 miles an hour and you hit a wall, it's not going to matter. You're finished anyway. But if you bounce off a curb or deflect off a motorcycle or something like that, um, and just falling from the height of the bike to the ground is a fairly significant impact. Anybody want to get up six feet off the ground and jump out onto a piece of pavement in their jeans and a t-shirt, I don't think that's going to be a good idea. But do it in your armor and you'd be surprised how good it is. Yeah, I think it's very much dependent on your point of impact. I mean, I've had some totally. wonderful falls Everything. where I've landed exactly on my armor. And that's been that's been a, a, an unremarkable moment. Just get on yeah, and keep totally. on going. Alternatively, yeah, you can land on something that isn't protected and, um, and it kind of slows yes. you down a bit. Did yep. you guys see Which this? Which is why I'm um, adding riding gear. I'm adding armor to my gear. Um, I'm putting in a, an improved um, back protector. Um, I'm getting better improved knee protectors than I currently have. Uh, I'm actually looking at a chest protector and I'm thinking about a Liat neck, neck brace. All good quality, improved, better than we used to have. I mean, I road raced in one layer of leather and a pair of shorty gloves and I got the wrist scars on my wrist to show to prove that was a bad idea. Uh, but things are getting better and if you buy well and really think about what it is you're doing and of course ride sensibly and try not to fall off modern gear is going to do a lot of protection but it's not the ultimate saver you cannot think you cannot ride saying my gear will save me yeah. it has an improved chance of making you survive much better than you might otherwise have and you may be able to get up and walk away like uh, graham was saying but it's it's not a panacea. It doesn't cure everything. Well, I agree with what you're saying about the as far as you know our, our protection that we have now for low speed minor impacts. But it, well, you, if you actually get into a crash, it's going to do very little, I think, because we, we did some research on this for clothing as well. We found that, uh, or for uh, for motorcycle clothing, and on for a different show or a different episode we did, and. Um, I was stunned at how fast all of it disintegrates. We're, we're talking seconds here, uh, skidding down the road. Mm. As Grant, as you you know full well with with uh, racing well. leather. Oh yes, right. So I mean, you know, it's it's for low speed impact. Yeah, it's going to do something, but um, probably more important. I have a tendency to think that you need to be comfortable. Definitely have the definitely have the armor in there, but you need to be comfortable, warm and dry. And and like Sam and I were talking about earlier, to stay alert, to stay um, you know um, on the bike and and wide awake. Yeah, avoid did, did you, avoid avoid the accident in the first place. I think, and I was going to yeah. say too, you you commented that uh, earlier that you said it's more important to be comfortable and safe. Well, yes, it's more important to be comfortable, but don't forget the safety aspect. And you modified that in your last statement. And okay, fine. Now I will agree with you. Right. Yes, it's very important to be comfortable, safe, warm. Uh, we talked about this on an episode about um, riding in the cold. If you're cold your brain shuts down, Right. you're not thinking anymore. So it's more important to be warm and comfortable and your body working well and your brain working 100% than it is to be all armored up and no brain working. Absolutely. Sam, you were gonna it's say all something? Connected. Yeah, I was just wondering if anybody else had seen this um, clip that was going around on Facebook this week, um, somewhere in Asia, I don't know where, where um, a, a chap on a, a scooter, um, you know, a moped type thing, um, undertakes a truck, the front wheel hits the curb, and that bounces the guy underneath the truck, and the truck's rear t rear wheels go over this guy's head. He's got a crash helmet oh. on. 
He bounces out from underneath with a shattered crash helmet, gets up and walks away. Wow. Wow. I mean, this is a truck that's gone over his head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, just yeah. quite incredible. I did not expect that at all. When I first saw it, my heart was in my mouth as to what horror I was going to see. And I was sitting there thinking, why am I watching this? And then I found I out why I was watching this. it. But that was yeah. quite yeah, incredible. Yeah, I, yeah, I saw that too, um, Sam. Yeah, it was, uh, was a great advert for um, good motorcycle helmets. Well, Birgit's first comment yeah. when she heard me talk about this was, nah, it's got to be photoshopped of some sort. It's got to be a spoof. But actually, it doesn't look like it, Brian, does it? You know, the thing is, though, with those, I, I, you know, that I haven't seen the video and I'm sure it happened just like you said, but that's also probably a one-off. I think if you repeated that over and over again, um, so, I mean, you, 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 you don't want to put too much, too much weight into that. Let's put it this way. No, I'm I don't think it's something I want to, to test. No, exactly. The, no, no, the, watch the, this. No. I'm good. Dummy may be, but crash test dummy for that sort of thing, no way. <laughs> I was going to comment about uh, helmets as well. Um, in that crash, I mentioned road racing, 120 miles an hour, bounced end over end over end, and never touched my helmet once. Not a scratch, not a mark on it. And yet, um, just last summer, I was practicing uh, super tight turns and fell. The bike stalled, and I fell, landed right on my head. Big whack. Got a thorough headache out of it and replaced the helmet. And that's the first helmet I've ever had to replace from a crash. First ever. Yeah, they say that you're um, you're supposed to. I mean, as we all know, you're supposed to replace the helmets if you drop them at all. Any sort of light impact. Yep, six foot drop is the uh, the common number that helmet manufacturers have given me. And the helmet may be fine on ninety percent of the rest of it, but that one spot may be the one you hit next time. I'm quite interested that um, you know. I think it's both Shoei and Arai now will test crash helmets if you've dropped them, and they can test whether the integrity of them is, is still there. Uh, oh, you mean you can send it in, get it tested, and get it back? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah they, they don't actually sort of... test it. They take it apart, and they x-ray it and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's pretty But weird. I mean, when you think about the, the amount of money that we're spending on on good quality crash helmets now um, that's actually kind of nice to know isn't it it definitely is because they're, they're telling you like I've heard people some guy at a dealership was telling me just if it's been bumped at all if you've dropped it off your, your bike you know put on your helmet sort of thing it's falling down it's garbage throw it away and it's like wow if you spent you know 800 or a thousand dollars on your helmet I mean, that it could be enough to make you cry so nice to know yeah. that at least in some of them you can get them checked yeah that's I'm one of the again, reasons I... for buying a good quality helmet they will do that all the top the really top brands will do that Brian and Shirley, what are you guys wearing? Oh, sorry, we were just um, a bit sidetracked there. Um, well, we wear we don't wear leather. We wear Gore-Tex, and we wear padding, like the you know everyone's been saying about all the safety aspects of it. But from what John was asking about ca- um, covering multi-climate long-distance rides, we just uh, take the layers. And not that we've got my pants and jackets have got layers that you can put inside for warmth and waterproofing, but I tend to wear the warmth ones, but the waterproofing I use over jackets. And then if you get hot during the middle of the day, you don't have to do a strip tease on the side of the road to to get a layer out of the inside of your pants or your jacket. But I think um, certainly with multi-climate long distance, you need to think of you're going to be in really hot weather and really cold weather, which we've done on all of our trips. So you just make sure you've got the the outer layers so you can 
add a layer or take a layer away and we have now got heated vests which are extraordinary but I am very, very jealous of Graham who has heated socks. Oh, that's, that's, <laughs> that's what I want is heated socks because my feet get really cold. I can tell you what, Shirley, I used to, I've done it three years, uh, three consecutive years now, where I start in Denver in December and I ride down to Mexico for the winter. And those first three days out of a high altitude winter as you drop down into Texas and slowly get to warmer weather. And as you know, it's the extremities that get cold. And those heated socks changed everything. They're a bugger with the wires because you've got to get them just right so they don't fold under your knees and they don't crash against the side of your legs. And so struggling with the wires is a pain in the ass. But when they're on, oh, God, your little pinkies are all warm and toasty. Oh, I want some. <laughs> when you mentioned the heated gloves, I was I was feeling jealous there because, well, right now I have one heated grip that's not working. So, so I have one hand that's colder than the other. But I keep thinking, i got to try heated gloves well you have because the heated grips the, the the right one will always be warmer than the left one because the throttle moves around it's there's that gap between that and the handlebar but the left one will always be colder because you lose a lot of the heat straight into the handlebar and you tend to grip tighter and tighter to try and get that heat into the palm and the ends of your fingers but with heated gloves it's an environment that's warm and you don't feel the heat like you do from the heated grips but it just stops the numbing it's just a, a wonderful sensation so those three things i think the two the extremities of the feet and the hands and the the upper torso with a heated vest and you can ride through as cold as you as, as you can handle it's, it's beautiful with these heated gloves, I mean, how much feeling do you have when you're using them? Because I've never actually really looked at them, but I have this in, in, image in my mind that they're fairly cumbersome. Um, and I have the feeling that perhaps I'm going to lose the sensation of being able to touch the handlebars and feel what's going on and so on. Is is that right or are they no, much thinner than that? Not at all. I'm, I mean, as I say, I prefer uh, fingerless gloves. So, But as soon as that's not an option, I've only got one pair of non-fingerless gloves and they're my heated gloves which I don't like wearing when I'm not plugging them in because I don't want to wear them out because I want to use them when they're actually but how many pairs of gloves can you have so um, no I don't feel that I lose any dexterity or anything any more than I would from any other um, padded gloves quite funny being back here at my mum's because I got my last pair of gloves it was oh god I remember them they were nice they're so well broken in but no the heated gloves they're gerbing ones and, um, and also with my heated vest I've got these little these little zippers on my cuff wires come out and I can plug my gloves in. It's a bit like when you were a kid, you know, and your mittens were on a bit of string through your shoulders and down your arms so you didn't lose them. So I've got these little wires that come out so I can plug my gloves into my sleeves of my jacket. So no, I wouldn't say they would come. So I don't think you lose any any uh, any feeling from them. They're, they're fine. Yeah, good stuff. But I was just thinking for uh, Shirley, I'm also just testing out now uh, warm and safe um, electric stuff and the main thing I'm testing out is they're, they've got a new thing instead of a jacket it's actually your second layer like you wear a light uh, synthetic shirt long sleeve shirt or something and then this second layer or you can also wear it as the first layer is think of think of a, a lycra top that's skin tight and it's really? electric so it's your first layer that you put on in the morning and you plug it in and away you go and it's also got the wires for the gloves coming out of the sleeves, so you don't have to fiddle with trying to uh, string wires down your jacket. 
or in the inside of your jacket, they're already in the sleeve of the inner liner. So it's really easy to plug in. And they have a dual controller, so you can control the heat in the glove and in the liner as well, separately, which is really nice. And the one I've got for testing is uh, actually a remote control, so I don't even have to plug in the remote control. The remote control just sits on the dash of the bike, and I turn buttons, and it adjusts the temperature. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. look, getting back to the main question here, right? But- the main thing is layer, layer, and layer. You know, if if you if you wear um, uh, all your layers, you're warm. If you're getting hot, take some of your layers off. I mean, they're the golden rules. And I, I'm like Shirley. I hate having to take liners in and out of your riding gear. Uh, so I I wear overpants, and you can get overpants that zip all the way down, so they're quite easy to get on and off. Um, when you're standing on the side of the road and it's starting to sprinkle rain, um, you can get in the, into them pretty quickly. They're also uh, windproof. Um, you talk about uh, electric gear. Yeah, it's all very good. Um, and uh, we use electric vests and they're, they're great. But um, I still say the golden rule is layers. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can do anything with layers. As far as um, uh, protection... Yeah, sure, you can have protection in knees, hips, back, elbows, shoulders, all the rest of it. But I find, particularly with the knees, um, a lot of the, the stuff is quite uncomfortable. Um, and yeah, you, know, you take your chances. There's a reason why motorcycle racers wear leather when they're coming off at a zillion miles an hour. Leather is fantastic. You'll notice now inside their jackets, they've got air vests that go off. When they come off a bike, that'll probably be the next thing that comes into um normal motorcycle riders but um, as far as long distance travel goes you just can't beat layers and i think probably everybody will agree that um that you know there's compromises to be made you know i wear um, an arrow stitch uh darien jacket and and pants and um 81 pants actually um and they're, they're great, but I mean, it's always a trade-off because when it gets really hot, like when I head back east and ride in some heat, um, then I find it's, it's just overly hot. I need more vents, but it's always a trade-off, isn't it? You're never going to have yeah, everything yeah, yeah. that's, that's perfect. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, we rode up to Nordcap and I wore a BMW summer jacket, with, which vents front and back and uh, is quite light. But underneath that, I had a heated vest, and over the top, I had a waterproof jacket. And nine times out of ten, I'd wear a singlet, a T-shirt, that jacket, if it was really cold, put the, the heated vest on, uh, probably not even plug it in, and I was fine. So moving moving on, Chris Hall writes, and this is good. I, I like this because, you know, a lot of people talk about this. You, this this seems to come up all the time, the Charlie and Ewan videos, you know, that, that a lot of people have sort of got introduced to adventure motorcycling by. Charlie Hall writes, he was reading the comments on a long way around YouTube upload, and he sees lots of riders annoyed with Charlie and Ewan for having a backup crew, etc. And it seems that some travelers, motor or otherwise, love to criticize another's adventures, and he'd love to hear from the group of what they think of quote-unquote adventure snobbery he says if you like um I, I i don't know if it's adventure snobbery but certainly people have a problem with how other people do their adventures or what they call adventures and we have another question actually coming up that sort of lends to this as well as when it comes to trip length and we'll, we'll get to that when we do but um how do you guys feel about that i'm sure you've heard the conversation before i'm sure you've probably been part of it can I? Charlie and you are so much. <laughs> We're all so keen to talk okay. about this. Oh, yeah. Graham. 
Uh, okay, it was quite interesting when you when you sent us the questions. You wrote in brackets, "Keep it positive." <laughs> <laughs> that's that's internal notes, Graham. You're not supposed to give that stuff out. <laughs> well, let me just. I think say. we would all be positive anyway. <laughs> You know what's funny, Graham? I, I, let me let me interrupt you for just a second. Is I just the other day listened to the yeah. Christmas greeting we did a couple of years back, <laughs> and that's exactly what you did on that. You said completely unscripted and not prompted by Jim at all. I'm here to wish you a merry Christmas. <laughs> you, you, you gave away the <laughs> the, the insider notes. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you know, I don't want it to be an us and them. You know, I want everybody to be a part of it. Totally transparent. <laughs> so excellent. So anyway, when um, it first came out, I mean, I probably jumped on the bandwagon. They were easy targets because they did have everything, whether it was out of jealousy or or whatever it was, lack of credibility, everybody, it was. they were very easy to slag. Oh, they had fixers, they had translators, they had backup, they had everything given to them. They had huge budgets. And then I did the trip myself. And then I wrote a book. And I realised, if you're brave enough to put yourself out there and do it, and then if you're brave enough to actually put a product out into public consumption then you are always going to have keyboard warriors. You're going to have the people who have never actually done it, but have opinions about it. And then as, as my sort of life in this world progressed, I actually got to meet Charlie. And, okay, he's an actor, so he's very good at coming across well. But he's just a normal bloke. And he used to fit kitchens and bathrooms, which I did as well, so we got that in common. And um, I think it's... I think you always find the people who say, yeah, well, they had this and they had that and it was easy for them. But what you have to remember is, what was that, 11 years ago now, 12 years ago? It wasn't uncharted territory, but it was certainly not on the map for the majority of people. They made adventure biking boom. And it's very easy to slag, well, especially Ewan, because, you know, very privileged life now. And it's very easy to slag them off and make fun of them. But I think, Firstly, until you've done the trip. And secondly, until you've bothered to put a product out in the public, then you will be a little bit more careful with your words and your judgment. Because um, as soon as someone's got the balls to put their opinions out there, um, I think you have to respect the fact that they do that. Whether you agree with it or not, you have to respect that they did it. You know, I'm just going to throw in here, because of the way you approach this, that uh, I think the same thing could be said from Grant and Susan, from Sam and Birgit, from Ted Simon, before the internet, right? I mean, it'd be very easy to say to people now, oh, well, it's easy for you. You've got the internet. So, I mean, you know, that, that's the same sort of thing. It's, I totally agree with what you're saying. I think it's always easy to look at somebody else's thing and say, oh, that's easy because you had a good bike, you had great gear, you had somebody backing you. Yeah, I think the important thing that always comes to my mind on this is that they did actually ride all every inch of it. I mean, they wrote it, and that's the hard part, is the actual riding of it and doing it. And they, they put up with all kinds of problems and issues. And I don't know about you guys, but I really wouldn't want to be stuck having to ride back and forth on the road 16 times until the photographer gets the shot right. That would be <laughs> aggravating. Mm-hmm, I mean, too, right. That would drive me insane. I would not want to do it the way they did it. I give them huge credit for doing that and putting up with all the aggravation of shooting, dealing with the Land Rover. We've got to wait for the Land Rover because we're ahead of them on the bike and now we got to wait for them. That's annoying too. And they can't do 
their own ride. They have to do the, the ride that's been scripted for them, that's been prepared for them, that's been organized. So they're, they're almost on a guided tour. And, that, and that's a big negative to me. You know, they're not free to just go out and do what they feel like. So I, I think yeah, yeah. that they did it, that they succeeded, that they put it out there. And like Graham says, they really did put themselves out there and, and put out their feelings and what they were thinking along the way. That's a lot of really private stuff that they did. And I think that's that, uh, kudos to them. Yeah. And again, the big thing is they did the ride. And that's the important part. You know, as Graham said, yeah. they brought a huge number of people back to motorcycling and to motorcycling yeah, for the yeah. first time. And that's amazingly healthy for, for both people and the industry. But one of the keys for me is that they allowed a hell of a lot of people to see some incredible parts of the world that they might not have been able to otherwise and to peek at some very diverse cultures. Um, we, uh, do you know, one of the things that taught me was uh, or reminded me was that we all laugh the same. And I just thought, fantastic. And can you imagine Ewan's insurance company's faces when he told them what he was about to do? Of course, they wanted to have protection and everything else with them. Um, I mean, adventure snobbery. Look, my attitude is everybody can travel exactly how they would like to travel. There are no rules about um, how to travel other than respect the local people and do no harm. And what matters is that people travel. Simple. It, that, that's it. Adventure snobbery, um, I think. Think it's a waste of time, though very human. I can't be asked with it. I'm, I'm with you, Sam. You I'm, I, am over, I am over. I am over those wankers who uh, won't wave at you, or you know, um, poo-poo you because you're riding a, a smaller bike or whatever it is. Hang on a minute, you know, motorcycling as a as a as a pastime is under siege by all the safety cracks that go on around here. So you know, we should be sticking together and we should be supporting each other. Charlie yep. and Newman certainly opened up adventure motorcycling to those who hadn't seen it before. You know, there's a few of us around that had, were doing it before that. Well, that's fine. But, um, you know, and we're willing to help anybody. You know, we've got three or four people travelling right now that uh, are travelling their way and they ask questions that sometimes you think, well, oh, boy, you know, you really you need to do, do your research yourself. But then you think, no. Hang on, help them out and do the right thing and uh, they'll become those great travellers and they'll be passing on advice to others, just like Charlie and Ewan did. Now, we had the uh, we met uh, Charlie, you, you did a radio broadcast. I did a radio interview with yeah. you and we were discussing um, the fact that Ewan's wife joined them in Africa but his wife didn't and uh, I asked the question why she didn't and he looked at me cross-eyed. So I kind of felt that he didn't want to discuss that and he moved on to another topic. So it was one of those little radio insights that you don't get on the on the visual. <laughs> yeah, you know, so, you know, they did it hard too. They did it tough uh, in their own way. And without that film crew and, you know, the, the producer absolutely drove me crazy. I, th I think he's an absolute wanker. Oh, oh, well, oh, well, sorry, oh, so maybe I shouldn't have said that. But he's trying to make himself a story when he's not the story. And uh, to me, but without him and without them putting it out there, there wouldn't be people travelling like there are now. So you yeah. take the good with the bad. And I think it was Sam um, raised the issue of insurance. Um I know that even in Australia with television programs and professional football, people are told it's in their contracts they are not to ride motorcycles. 
while they're filming or while during the football season. And I would imagine that um, Ewan would not have been able to have even had a contract for a film to start shooting at the other end of that trip because the insurers for that film would have said, no way, can he do something dangerous to ride um, when he has a contract to fulfil at the other end of it. For so it would film. cost him. So it, would have, it cost probably him. cost him jobs, having to put jobs off for a few months for the same reason. So mm-hmm. good on them. And as far as Long Way Round, I've interviewed a number of people who have been inspired directly from those films. So, I mean, it's, uh, I just think that the films come up so much in conversations, it says something about their popularity and what they've done for adventure motorcycling, really. Just just as a, as a footnote on that, Jim, I think, um, uh, I did this in my first book, I think if you rode a scooter, everybody said Quadrophenia. If you rode a chopper, everybody said Easy Rider. And if you had a couple of aluminium panniers on your bike, everybody said Long Way Round. It had that much impact. You know? mm-hmm. That was the... That was what you were classed as. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. So moving on, we're going to talk about um, a question from Brian Halby. Brian says, hello, Jim and the gang. This this is a a long piece here, but first off, he wants to say thank you for uh, us all putting the the show together and making an informative and entertaining podcast. Um, He's read all of Sam's books. He's finished two out of three of Graham's books. Um, I guess grams are, are more difficult to read. Do you use bigger words, Graham, than Sam does? Because he's blown through Sam's book. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes I hyphenate, yeah, you know. That's what it is. So it's tricky. <laughs> he's finishing the last one. Then he's going to be on to Shirley's. He says he can't say enough about Grant's generosity and hard work on the HU site either. So he uses that and, and benefits from that. Um, he says Brian and him have a lot in common. Law enforcement, old bikes and tractors, and a birthday in October. Wow, that's pretty good. That's quite a bit. And, uh, yeah, he was, that's not bad. He's like a soulmate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the tractors in there. Yeah, that's an odd one. And he's hoping to see meet Sam at uh, at Hermes. I guess when you were to Hermes, that was a while ago, but because uh, he didn't manage to do that. Um, anyways, he said he's been inspired to get outside of his comfort range, which I love to hear. I mean, that's great. That's what to me. That's what the essence of life is: is, is getting out there to the edge of your comfort zone and really feeling things. He left the states. Um, for, uh, he, he left the States from his home in Pennsylvania and rode up to Canada last year, he says. Now he's riding down to Mexico. And he, this is where he gets to what his question is. He says he doesn't speak Spanish very well beyond some basics. And he was curious about how everyone's handled the language barrier in foreign countries. He's heard about the point book where you're, you're pointing at the pictures. And I, I think Shirley um, and Brian have brought that up before. Um, thinks that's a useful tool. But um, any other tips for travel in Mexico, he says, would be welcome and appreciated. And that's Brian Halby. Can I jump in with the language thing? The um, the, the pointed book um, that he refers to, the one we use is called Picture Talk, and it is absolutely brilliant um, for any situation, literally any situation. There are pictures of people sitting on the toilet who can't go to the toilet, pictures of people <laughs> sitting on the toilet who are going to the toilet to march, um, wow. you know, ambulances, cocktails. But every time when we're going away... I do a little bit of language. I did French and German at school. Since then, I've done Italian and Spanish. I speak none of them at all, really, but I've got words and uh, I can order petrol, accommodation and food in those languages um, and um, a smidgen of Russian. So if you've got a few words of Spanish, Brian, and get the picture talk book, which I'll send Jim the ISBN number so people can order it online, um, you'll survive. Playing charades and using the picture book will break down any barrier. 
It even got us out of a speeding fine when the police just looked at Brian and said, take the mad woman, well, thought to themselves, take the mad woman <laughs> and her book away. So go for it, Brian. Wow. Don't be scared. And Spanish really of all the languages Jesus. is probably the simplest to, to master. Well, respect to you, Cheryl, for learning all those different languages. I still struggle daily with Bulgarian. That's that's a gift to do that. Um, and my point in a book, I've still got – it's great if I want to buy a VHS cassette, but if I want a charger for me iPhone, forget it. I need to get a newer one. I think you need to upgrade, yeah. yeah. Um, there's an app on your phone which I used in Mexico, and I think it's called Magic Eye. And you point your phone at a menu, a road sign, whatever, and it looks at it in Spanish and it tells you it in English. And that was a wonderful thing. Nice. They haven't got one for Cyrillic, unfortunately. Um, so that's why I'm having to learn Bulgarian. But it's a great thing for menus. And also, like, sure, it's a great icebreaker because when you're running your phone over the top of a menu and <laughs> – and the waitress is standing there wondering what the hell you're doing. And then the picture, which is suddenly in Spanish, suddenly turns from Huevos Rancheros to eggs in Chile. And uh, and you can read it. You can see it. So that's a really good one. That's a really good little way of overcoming the, the language issue is the, is the phone app. I think it's called Magic do you need Do you need Wi-Fi with that, um, Graham, or does oh, it's it just loaded. work? It's, yeah, no, it's loaded on there, so it's in there, so it just knows. God knows how. Um, wow. Who knows how? Oh wow, Gr- Graham, you, you said it's, it's called Magic Eye. You think? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's called Magic. I was just looking when we were talking. I was just looking on my phone, but I've clearly deleted that app now, or it's off an old phone. But um, I think it's called Magic Eye, something like that. Nice. There's um, a, a link. We might try and across. download that for our next trip. <laughs> well, when you come it's, to England, it's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking more of Stony, but yeah, England will do. <laughs> you want chips with that? Sam, you got something there? Yeah, I found a link um, which lists um, a stack of um, apps that you can use for translation, including one like Graham's just been describing, but also ones where you can speak into it and um, you've got it programmed to to say in Russian or whatever what you've just said, and then to listen to what the person has responded to you and translate it back into English. And I just think what wonderful bits of kit they are. But I'll send you that link um, for the show notes. Um, oh, I, I think this is wonderful. I mean, when Birgit and I were doing um, the big trip, we just learned um, the basics, like um, Shirley was just saying. And we learned how to say things like, my name is, which is the way to, is there a, can you show me on my map, um, what time is, may I? And then we just learned the words that um, we were most likely to use. So petrol, petrol station, hotel, safe parking, camping site, mechanic, tyre, puncture market, etc. those sorts of things. And we found, or I found in particular, um, that once I'd learned those basics, I was able to understand so much of the things that were being said to me, it actually helped me learn quite quickly to speak that much more of, of the language. I mean, I was hampered in, in South America because Birgit spoke really good Spanish, which meant that I took the back seat and was absolutely lazy and let her get on with it. Um, and I paid the price for not having learned it because that was the one continent that I travelled through where um, I didn't manage to interact with the locals as much as I had done everywhere else. And, yeah, I was really sad about that. And if we ever go back to South America, for sure, I'm going to learn um, more Spanish. Um, and I'll, But I'll start off, again, with those basics. 
Um, and, you know, these, these translation apps that you can get, how fantastic, what a brilliant way to help yourself to learn. If you're really listening to what's being said as a result of what you've just said into the app and what's being said in, in response to you, how fantastic. I mean, you can't just abdicate, can you? You've got to be able to learn from that. You know, what's funny is the interview I just did last week was with a young guy, 22 years old, Ben King, and mm-hmm. he, he actually got interrogated at one point. Um, I think it was in, uh, it might have been in Iran. Um, but in any case, he was interrogated. He doesn't speak the language. They don't speak his language. And uh, so they were using Google Translate. And he says, you know how Google mm-hmm. Translate doesn't always translate things. So he says, here he's being, he's being interrogated. And they're asking him like stupid, ridiculous questions. And he's laughing or trying not to laugh at it, saying, look, it, it doesn't make sense. And they're getting more frustrated with them as they say something in and they show him the phone. And he's saying, like, I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's going to be times when the when that stuff technology could let you down. So probably good to you know, like Shirley says, to to learn a few words as well. And, and you're saying as well. Yeah, I would say. The and same the thing. one thing is, it does break down the barriers. Um, is mucking around with language and the Google Translate, and people find that even if you um, speak really badly and with a shocking accent and you only know four words, you string them together like a baby because you don't have all the the finer minutiae of the language to make us an actual sentence, they're just so pleased that you are trying to speak their language instead of walking in and going, do you speak English? Oh, mm-hmm. damn, they don't speak English. What's the point? <laughs> oh, so, yeah, you, 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 at least yeah. need to be able to say, you don't speak, do you speak English in their language? <laughs> <laughs> yes, at least try that. <laughs> yeah. Brian. I had a really when, interesting story I would like to add. Um, yeah. Okay. I've got a, a story that really illustrates why you should learn to speak at least a little bit, the, the basics. You know, I think that's the most important thing that everybody understands and agrees with. you got to learn some of it, learn the basics. But this was coming into Egypt from Libya, and as we're driving up to the border, there's a long, long line. I mean, we're talking miles-long line of trucks and a few private vehicles parked there, and they're just sitting there, sitting there, sitting there. So I just... As you do, you drive right up to the head of the line. And I pulled up to the guy at the gate and I asked him in English, um, how long do you think it might be before we can get in? You know, it's a really long line. And he said, well, it it could be a few hours. It it might be tomorrow at this rate. Uh, I just kind of went, sigh, shukran, which is Arabic for thank you. And his face just lit up and he said to me in English, you speak Arabic. Welcome to my country. He raised me. <laughs> raised us in. I had yeah. one word. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's right. That's right. But I had something which said I've tried, and he yeah. loved it. Thought yeah. it was wonderful. So I think that's uh, that's kind of a, a something to always keep in mind. One or two words, please, thank you, uh, things like that, and the basics of food and toilet and you know hotel. And it's amazing how you pick it up accounting, after a while. and that's it. Isn't it? Yeah. You do pick it up because uh, I remember we were in the South America for about six months and by the end of that six months, your ear was attuned to what people were saying. You're, all right, you might not have had the conversational ability, but you still got there. And even the Shrilic alphabet when we were going through Russia, sure, you could, you could pick up a little bit here and there. Yeah, you could. Yeah. You could. And the other thing, um, oh, gosh, it just disappeared out of my mind. I hate it when that happens. 
Happens a lot. So. I know. It's age. It it's just a terrible thing. Off, oh, tell me about it. It's just terrible. It was a oh, really good thought. Oh, I know. I know. And no, it's another one. Um, another <laughs> phrase that you should learn, um, as well as hello and goodbye and how much for the petrol, more slowly, please. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. Uh, and that is Absolutely. to relate to the yeah. speed they are speaking their language in, Graham, before you think of anything else. But more slowly, please. Master Spacio, por favor, goes a yeah, long Spacio, way. Yeah, Spacio, por favor. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> said yeah, that more. Definitely. Said that more than gracias. <laughs> yeah. And the other one, of course, is go to a language school. If you're going to be going to Mexico for a while, uh, there's some really good language schools that you can go to in places like Antigua, uh, where you spend a week going to language class for half of the day and spend the rest of the time doing whatever you like. And you actually can live with a local family and you learn how to say pass the butter and all the rest of it. And just that one week will give you the basics you need to know. It'll give make you comfortable. You'll get an ear for Spanish and off you go. And it's a great experience at the same time. I did it and loved it. It was great. Well, this is it. Even if you don't learn anything, because I struggle so hard with languages, I don't pick it up. It doesn't come naturally. But the language school thing, and I've been to many, you learn the little local restaurants and you learn the little local customs. And what you may forget or never pick up in language and verbs and pronouns and indefinites and all the rest of it, you will at least appreciate in burritos that nobody else has because the locals will show you the cool places. So you at least get that much out of it. Yeah, yeah. Totally agree with that. Now, th- this is Brian. This is a comment for you, mate. Um, don't be shy. Just have a go. Um, it doesn't matter if you screw it up. The fact is that you've had a go, and if you get laughs but no understanding, that's fine. You've got laughs. That's a good second best, or maybe it's even a good first best. But um, you'll have fun. Just relax. Have a go. Um, learn the basics and just get stuck in. People will respect you so much for that. Yeah, I would agree with that completely doesn't matter how many mistakes you make they they have a good time with you and you start everybody starts laughing together and it's it's fun well i have um i have someone weed whacking outside outside our studio right now and i can't believe it the place looks like it's hardly ever maintained and they just decide to weed whack today i mean i i'm i can't understand why they would do it when we're recording here but you know People are funny. Speaking as as one of of, uh, of the presenters who has done a recording book and uh, and uh, been in a proper recording studio, I think what you're doing in your little fabricated fiberglass trailer with your stolen Wi-Fi and your dodgy connections is just so amateur, Jim. What do you expect? <laughs> <laughs> This is a proper studio. <laughs> that was perfectly done, mate. I wonder what was coming next. <laughs> David Morrison wrote in and says, Hi, all. What are your thoughts on automatic motorcycles? And I'm glad he brought this question up because I know Graham knows a lot about these. So this will be good to hear what he has to say. He says, In my opinion, we will see more and more automatic motorcycles enter the market and eventually take over manual gearboxes. In early days of automatic 4x4, everyone said there's no way that we'll ever go from manual to, to uh, automatic. But um, they're so technical nowadays that he believes that it'll only be a matter of time before motorcycles, automatic motorcycles, become the norm. Uh, he says he needs to clarify he means in the sport and adventure market. Um, there are already a lot of small, basic, automatic motorcycles. And I mean, of course, when you get into scooters and things like that, or like, for instance, the weed whacker that's running outside, it's an automatic as well. This guy's operating. <laughs> but but uh, so automatic motorcycles, Graham, what do you know? 
Oh, well, David and uh, Jim, I've done a lot of research on this. No, <laughs> no I've, I've, I've done nothing on this. I've, <laughs> I would say two things. Firstly, my pickup truck is automatic. And um, for those of us who know how a clutch work and the extra control you get over your vehicle with a clutch, you really miss it when you haven't got it. As soon as you're in mud or snow or any slippery conditions, when you don't have the control of a truck, of a clutch, then you are seriously debilitated by having an automatic transmission. And the only other thing I have to say on the subject is when they stopped making motorcycles with Kickstarters, you were limited to the electric star and the power in your battery. And when the power in your battery went, you still had the possibility of being able to run and jump and bump start it. And I would imagine, and I don't know for sure, that with an automatic transmission, you've just eliminated that option. So you are solely reliant upon your battery and your electric start. So for me, apart from the intricate workings of an automatic transmission i would want a manual gearbox firstly because it has a clutch and that gives you more control and secondly it gives you a second option for trying to start it and that's all i've got to say on the subject that's a very definite opinion graham I think that one of the things to to talk about with this is um, automatic transmission means a couple of different things. Like if you talk about the Honda, the DCT, I think they call it transmission, it's a dual clutch system. It's not really an automatic transmission. It's it's two clutches that are computer controlled. So it's not like you have a torque converter in a traditional automatic transmission like an automotive uh, vehicle. And the, the thing with like my problem with those type of vehicles that have a torque converter, which is a basically like two fans, one driving the other with oil between them, um, is that generally when an automatic transmission goes, it goes and it's done. You are toast. But with a, a manual transmission, when it goes, it usually you lose a gear, you know, you get some whining, some grinding, et cetera, those sorts of things. I wish this guy who's, who's weed whacking would grind his transmission <laughs> but but um so that's one big problem with a fully automatic transmission whereas the dual clutch system i, I think is somewhat difficult uh, d- different rather different sort of uh, animal yeah I, look i agree I, I look i don't know whether uh, automatic um uh, bikes will take off but uh i just test rode the uh new triumphs and uh they have a quick shifter um, so when you when you're in the really hard going stuff, you can shift through the gears up and down the gearbox a lot easier than you do with a clunky old um, agricultural gearbox that we're used to, Sam, on our BMWs. Mm-hmm. They're, they're a lot they're a lot easier to shift without using a clutch. And when you are really struggling in the rough stuff and you need both your hands um, fairly well planted on the handlebars standing up, it, it, it felt. Uh, a lot easier just to go up and down the gearbox with that with the with the quick shifter. Um, as far as full on automatic goes, boy, I don't know. I think you'd need the control a little more. But having said that, and I know um, he's made the comment there about uh, automatic cars. We've got an automatic uh, four wheel drive, and I thought I'd ne- I'd swear I'd never have one going across the Simpson Desert in a manual car. You are slipping the clutch to make sure you don't get too much wheel spin with an automatic car. You can just use the throttle control to get less wheel spin so you don't dig in. And I'd, I'd imagine that that would be a, a good feature. But, boy, uh, I'm, I'm with Graham on this. I think you need a bit more control. And, you know, you, you lose a Kickstarter, as Graham was talking about. Now you've got fuel injection. Um, if you've got a flat battery, you can't bump start your bike. 
you need some sort of power to get that um, to get the fuel into the fuel injection system. So you know, is modern technology what it's all cracked up to be? Mm, yeah, it's good, but uh, I'm not I'm not so sure about the automatic gearbox. Birgit and I rode um, automatic scooters when we were in Vietnam, and we were surprised at how competent with they they were. Um, and they were a bit slow on the up or down gearing, which could be challenging. I mean, there, there were some times when you were moving away from nothing, for example, and there'd be a hesitation. You'd open the throttle and the bike thought about it and then went. Um, and we yeah. found, I mean, we, we went off-roading on these um, little scooters, which obviously they're not, not designed to do. But there were moments on really steep dirt slopes that I was needing first gear and I needed it right now. And the bike was thinking yeah. about it and eventually it happened. But, I mean, I... I yeah, that's never, right. And the other, um, the, other thing, Sam, the other thing, Sam, is the weight. Uh, the new Africa Twin, uh, I've seen both bikes... And you, it, there's a significant weight disadvantage with the automatic uh, clutchless um, uh, Africa Twin that they've, they've got out. And you have a look at it. It's really lumpy yeah. and hangs out the side. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I, that was, I mean, I, I don't know very much about automatic motorcycles. So I, I've done some meandering around the various websites and picked up on, on reviews and so on, particularly of um, Honda's DCT. Um, and... Well, I mean, this this bike has three modes, so you don't have to turn your brain off altogether. And that was one of the things that, for me, I, you know, I, I never thought I would enjoy driving an automatic car. But I tell you what, this last trip going around New York for five hours in the hissing rain with traffic that was moving a foot at a time, I was so glad that I had an automatic and not um, clutch change because, my God, my my the muscles on my right leg and left leg would have been just monsters. But anyway, um, I... One thing that I do kind of like the idea about with automatics is that it's very difficult to stall them. You know, uphill, for example, dirt roads, that one that I was just describing on um, with the, the little step through, I couldn't stall the bike. It just kept on working it out. And I think that that's probably something that's quite a significant advantage. And I never thought I'd hear myself say this. But what about those moments when um, you've, you've just found yourself in the wrong gear and you need to put your foot down, but the ground isn't there, so over you go. With the automatic um, clutch, apparently, you you can't do that because it's always working out for you what's the best speed and gear for you to actually be in. And I can imagine that that works very well with sand and mud riding too. And how cool if you don't have to think about the clutch and can concentrate on the speed and the riding position and um, your balance and all of those sorts of things. And Brian, you mentioned those awkward moments when you really know that you've got to change gear, but man, it's difficult. It's, an, it's, it's awkward because you're going to throw your balance and all of the rest of it. Um, I've been on my bike in many situations where that's been the case and I've either fallen off or I've made it by the skin of my teeth. But that is much more tiring than when you've got an automatic underneath working those things out for you so you can concentrate on on the other skills. So am I poo-pooing the idea of automatics? Actually, I'm not. I'm curious um, I would never have thought, like I said, that I would enjoy driving an automatic car. Um, we drive uh, a manual here, and I like my old R80GS. But, hmm, yeah, if something's better, shouldn't we actually start thinking about embracing it? 
Yeah. But I do, I, I, I do understand this whole business about, yeah, what about kickstarting and what about bump starting and so on. And I'm not sure if I would want to go out into the wilds without the ability to do something like that. But maybe you can, and I just don't know about it. Well, you know, I, batteries as well. That's exactly what I do, Grant. I, I take one of those battery packs just in case because I have had um, a battery collapse on me coming out one morning to get on the GS. Uh, cold and it had just the battery must have been on its last legs. I couldn't get it to kick. But if you've got one of those bump starters, at least you can get moving. Uh, so that's that's probably the insurance you use nowadays. Uh, but I, I think they've got a, a fair way to go before they develop a really good uh, automatic system for bikes yet. Uh, I really do. Yeah, some of the problems with the DCT transmission, uh, I should say some of the problems. One thing that's commonly pointed out, people who try them, who are experienced riders, is the the slow speed maneuvering when, when you get down to a real mm-hmm. crawl uh, can sometimes be problematic. Some of the, th- some of the maneuvers you try and do uh, with your clutch that you do for control, you don't have the opportunity to do with the automatic. So it can create some problems there. But I mean, I can certainly see it. Like as far as the future goes, yeah, I can see it. And, and the thing is, as far as motorcycling goes, I'll bet it's the type of thing that is going to bring more people into motorcycling because let's face it, part of learning, part of the difficulty of learning a motorcycle is dealing with that clutch. Like you said, Sam, the stalling of the bike, um, all of that, that's part of that steep learning curve. For a lot of people, 99% of the time, you really don't need the clutch. An automatic motorcycle is going to be just fine, even in current state of technology, and, and it's going to get better. I mean, I personally today would not want onto DCT because for those low-speed maneuvers, um, one of the things I teach when we're teaching people to ride really slowly is slip the clutch, raise the revs, and get that engine spinning for you and give you the gyroscope effect. With a DCT, you can't do that. So for a beginner rider, it's not as good in that respect. But on the other hand, the average beginner rider has just got to open the throttle and roll away and not worry about the clutch. So they're going to be a lot better off as a general rule. So I think it's going to get better, and I agree a lot with Sam. It's coming. It's going to get better. It's going to be interesting. And I could see myself riding one in 10 years. I might not want to, but I might find at my age at that time that, um, yeah, you know, an automatic's okay. It's just fine for us old crotchers. Do you remember a few uh, months back we were talking about motorcycles that won't fall over? Yes. And, uh, and, and uh, who would have thought? There you go. <laughs> who would have thought? Yeah, was, was that the, the Honda we were talking about? That was the Honda, wasn't it? With, yes. the, with the steering. Yeah, yeah, I know. Because the people brought out ones with gyroscopes in them that won't fall over too. You can kick them and they'll, they'll still stand up. Yeah, so there you are, an automatic transmission and uh, can't fall over and electronic fuel injection and all the rest of it. Hey, what else could you ask for? Well, get rid of the wheels and just make it a hover. Hey, that's <laughs> it. Okay, that's the next version. That's what we're looking for. Dave Hawkins writes in, uh, loves the show. He, he likes listening while he's tinkering in the workshop, and he goes on to talk about um, uh, what you guys all saw about uh, agreeing with the, um, the the last episode. I think it was the last episode, the double episode, uh, with the luggage capacity, etc. But getting to the meat of the question is, um, what do you make, He said, uh, this is uh, Dave Hawkins, he says, what do you make of micro-adventures and other short trips in the outdoors? It's not the same as overlanding, but it's a great way to fit your adventure into a normal routine and learn the ropes 
Uh, he says for him, it's a great way to get more people out there. But he'd love to know what seasoned overlanders make of it. And and I was saying that it sort of ties in with the, almost with a Charlie and Ewan thing, because really what we're talking about is degrees of adventure. We're talking about what does it take to uh, like sort of what level or what threshold do you have to pass to make it a real adventure? I mean, it's that sort of question. I, I can understand uh, why Dave is asking this question because my yeah. goodness, don't we see some cynical comments to the effect that if it's not a long trip, then it's not an adventure. I mean, I don't think any of us agree with that. Dave, um, I totally agree with you. Micro adventures rock. Um, adventures start as soon as you leave home, don't they? If your mind, of course, is open to the possibilities as soon as, as, soon as you're leaving home. And what matters is getting away from home and doing something different, something that stretches you, shows you new things that you may not have seen otherwise. It's the break from routine and it's the nurturing of discovery places in oneself and that can happen within a day within a long weekend it doesn't have to be a trip to the other side of the planet um, and you're quite right jim it's that that's um travel snobbery business creeping in here again isn't it yeah it gets me it gets right up my nose i can tell you the reverse snobbery snobbery either way whether you've got a, a bmw gs and all the all the kit or you've got um the cheapest well-used motorcycle it doesn't really matter whatever you're doing wherever you're going if it's an inch farther than you've been before it's an adventure it's something new it's something exciting you're having a good time it's an adventure and i don't care what anybody says good on you mate just get out there and go and do something do something a little bit more than you've ever done before and that's great and, and uh, i don't want to add to it uh, i've had comments that Oh, your website and and your events are just for experienced travelers and people who have been around the world. No, it's not. 50% of the people we get at events on a regular basis are newbies. And one of the things they say on the registration is, I'm just starting. Everybody just starts somewhere. I mean, my first adventure was the first, I actually made it around the block on a motorcycle for the first time in my life when I was 16. Wow, that was fantastic. That was an amazing adventure. You work your way up and you do a little bit more each time. And we all start somewhere and we all have to learn. And it's all about getting out there, getting enthused, getting inspired by somebody else, somebody else's bigger adventure than yours or just another adventure. But just get out there and do it and go and have fun. I don't care what it is. Just go. Graham? Yeah, doing a big trip is exhausts everything it exhausts your finances it exhausts your relationships your employment and and it's a huge deal it's an incredible thing to do but um they're called once in a lifetime trips for a reason so the um just i mean when i used to do the shows regularly people would come to the shows and they say oh yeah last night we camped down in the lake district and tomorrow night we're going down to salisbury plain and it's nothing like you do it's like listen all i've done is driven here and stood behind a table for three days you're already beating me this weekend and um i just as i said like rode from bulgaria back to the uk last week on the bike five day trip brilliant i mean just to be able to get out there, go through some different countries and just reconnect with the with the, the transformation of, of, of what you experience as you as you ride, the thoughts you have in your helmet and the way you start going through your panniers and that. It's not about a length of time or length of distance, but it's a wonderful thing to do. And <clears throat> we could possibly all be guilty here of talking about it and not perhaps doing it as much as we could. So to be able to just get out there um, 
whether it's camping overnight or, or whether you're doing a five-day trip, it's a wonderful thing to reconnect, to rekindle some memories, to rekindle some enthusiasm, to get it going. So absolutely, it's not about length of time or any of that. Just get out there. Just for Even if you've got a spare day, it's a wonderful thing to do. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with you, Graham. You know, know Stace Martin as well, I think. Yeah, Um, he completely unfriended me and blocked me. I can't find him anymore on Facebook. (laughs) I don't know whether that's the case, but I think he's he's just gone an awful lot quieter. He's doing an awful lot of other things besides motorcycling. And he's the perfect example of somebody that goes out on micro-adventures. The stuff that he gets up to over weekends and the places that he goes and the places he puts his tent up and wild camps or his bivvy bag and um sometimes I think, blimey, mate, you've seen so much more than I have this year just by going out and having micro-adventures. So what you say just now, I totally agree with you. Micro-adventures, yeah, they're great. Adventure, lovely. The guy is weed-whacking the whole lawn. <laughs> oh, for God's sake, get over it, Jim. We can't hear it. Yeah, we can hear it, too. It's like, it's unbelievable. I, I mean, I can't understand how I can pick a spot like this. And today, like, the grass is really long here. and has been for weeks. We've come by here a lot. And today, in the rain, he's weed-whacking. Anyway. It's, right. the, it's, that, it's that fella, Murphy, so it is. Yeah. Sometimes you just kind of attract it. We did a, we did a little micro-adventure down to Paris at the weekend. And my mum's sort of struggling to get around a bit now. So we were on this little sightseeing boat on the, on the Seine. And uh, we couldn't go upstairs where the majority of people were. But we did have the most downstairs to ourselves. And it had these big sliding doors. So the doors open. It's a little bit like being upstairs because you've got the wind in your face, but you just haven't quite got the views. And directly outside the doors that we've opened these little benches and a family of hyperactive selfie stick narcissists decided they were going to sit right in front of us and take it in turns to jump in front of our little vision our little viewpoint we have doing selfies doing the kids are screaming people are posing and it's like you've got the entire boat to do this yet you choose to have your selfie obsession right in front of where we're sitting and we're with disabled people we can't move so i think sometimes you just attract it there's nothing you can do (laughs) are you saying that jim's disabled (laughs) no i'm just saying it's the vibe you give out (laughs) (laughs) jim i don't think it's somebody weed whacking at all i think it's your dog snoring yeah (laughs) could very well be (laughs) Well, you got, what, just take note of what you've said, and later, when we're all finished, you can just slice in those little yeah, bits. You can re-say I, it. I might have to. But anyway, I was going to put this one thing to you, being uh, experienced travelers and having done what you guys have done. He's like he's like right outside the window now. Anyway, he's it, right outside. I can't hear it now. It, it's, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, we can really hear it. I, I want to get a picture so I can show you guys. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> this is something you have okay, to quick, he's, quick, he's taking a breather now. No, he's going to go again. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So the thing is, I was going to ask you guys, as experienced travelers, people who've done long trips, is there a difference? Like, do you think that it is a different grade of adventure when you're out there for a longer period of time than when you do a micro adventure? Or is it just a different kind? Do you follow my question? Yeah, I'd have trouble with saying it was a different grade. I think it's a different kind of adventure. And it's, it becomes more of a way of living when you're on a big long trip as opposed to a break from your normal life, which is a micro adventure. And I think both have their place, but you can't take that long trip forever. It's just not possible. So micro adventures make sense for everybody. 
you know, we take micro adventures when we can. We went for a ride up to Mount Baker a couple of weeks ago, and that was an adventure. It was great. We've been there lots of times, and it's not very far, but it was a micro-adventure. It was way out. It was a change. It was different, and it was a good day. So I think it doesn't matter. Well, we'll move on from micro-adventures. Did anybody else have anything to add there, or did you guys add it when um, it wasn't Well, there? I'm just looking at the question. Um, oh, no, that was from someone else. But well, I'm sure I read it, and I can't see it now. It said... I'm sure I read what was your definition of adventure, but I can't see who asked it or what it was now. Maybe I just made it up. Well, I mean, that, that is an interesting one because it goes with this. I mean, yeah, so I mean, that, it really, that begs the question, doesn't it? What is the definition of adventure? What do you guys consider adventure? Well, I thought about this question because I thought I read it and I've got quite a concise little answer. So do you want to ask the question or if you already asked it? I just did. I just did. That was it. I asked the question. Can I go first? <laughs> um, well, having, as I keep mentioning, just written here from Bulgaria, I got to a point where there was absolute just hammering, hammering rain, flashes and bangs of lightning right next to me. And then all the traffic came to a standstill. The traffic parted as they do on German autobahns. And I went straight down the front on my mic to find that the autobahn dipped into a slight underpass and it was flooded. I mean, totally flooded. And I sat there for a few minutes on my bike. I couldn't get any wetter. It was hammering on me. It was absolutely just torrential and the rain was uh, the the flood across this huge and it was probably half a kilometer long of this submerged autobahn it was flooding off to the right of me and just cascading down this side of this embankment and, and taking out all the crops in this field this black or this brown water that had, had sort of uh, accumulated in the underpass and i thought i am going to be sat here for hours literally hours before firstly the rain's got to stop it's only getting deeper as i'm sitting here and then when it stops it's got to all drain away and i'm already soaked and i've got no shelter so i just got off the bike and i started pushing and i'm taking big high steps so i don't get my boots water in my boots and then it goes above the level of my boots and it sinks into my boots so i stop taking the high steps and then i continue to walk and I'm watching it on the bike as I'm pushing it. And it goes up through past the axles, past the top of the wheel, above the fork brace. And I get to what is clearly the low point. And uh, I put it on the side stand and take a photograph. Because it's three quarters of the way up the panniers. It's up to my waist. I swear the water level is up to my waist. It's not super cold and it's brown. It's pretty horrible. And took a photograph, kept pushing. Then I get to the bit where the bridge is over the top of the... Um, of, of the autobahn and I instinctively stop because it's not raining on me because I'm under the shelter of the bridge but I'm up to my waist in water so it's not really keeping me very dry and then continue to push it up the other side then I look at it and all the straw and the grass and the sticks and all the crap that's washed down from the field is now congregated around my engine and over my sump plate and everything so I just pull off fistfuls of grass and weed and crap and um I mean, I haven't had the engine running, so there's really been no uh, case for it to, 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 to be sucked into the engine. So I pulled that off. I take off my, my boots and just empty them, standing in the middle of the autobahn, empty my boots, soaking wet socks, put my feet back into my boots, which are now least don't have water in them anymore, put my leg over the bike and press the starter, and it starts. And there's a couple of people with a dead car with a bonnet up and they watch me and they give me the thumbs up and I give them the thumb up. And then I just ride out of this 
dark, thunderous, torrential rain, this horrible, nasty little nightmare of stagnant traffic and flowing water. And I ride out and there's just a constant queue of traffic on the other side that's stopped. And, uh, and slowly I come out the other side and the sky's clear and the rain stops. And I just think, what the hell? With that little tumultuous nightmare that I just rode through. <laughs> so this is my concise definition of adventure. It's when you have to think beyond where signposts don't tell you what to do. When you have to take the initiative, when you're beyond the sterile environment that we live in of signs telling you every single move you must make, when you think for yourself, when there's no one to stop you, when you make a calculated decision based on your circumstances and you overcome the adversity that you're faced with. That, for me, is the definition of adventure. Wow. Very nice. I saw the photo on Facebook, by the way, and I didn't know what mm. you were doing there. I didn't quite get it. Um, I didn't no, realize no, it. Was. <laughs> the <laughs> ultimate bike wash. Yeah. It's like, what is he doing? And I thought, is it your photo? And uh, I didn't end up looking at it any further. But I also noticed you're riding around with one pannier, which was driving me nuts. Yeah, <laughs> no, me too. Well, completely out of balance. Well, two reasons. The other pannier was here. And secondly, I wasn't carrying that much. I didn't need it. <laughs> But you're the only reason that Graham didn't ride through this, Jim, was because um, he didn't have two panniers on so that he couldn't aquaplane. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that could be something, a ski on each one. That, that could be good. Do you know, Jim, I, I said that in jest, but I actually have been through um, deep puddles while off-roading um, with panniers on, and I've aquaplaned from one side of the puddle to the other with the water underneath the panniers. It's been a very, very, very weird sensation. Wow. Yeah, that would be. I've had my feet blown off the uh, the foot pegs before by going through a, a water too fast on foot pegs uh-huh. with a, that were rubber. Uh-huh. Yeah, gotcha. Rubber covered, yeah. Take the rubber pegs off. Oh, yeah, that was, uh, definitely. But uh, it was just kind of funny when it happened. Yeah. Anyone else? Definition of adventure? I think that was a great definition. Yeah, I think so to beat that. I'm not sure yeah. about the concise part, but it was a great yeah, definition. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I realized that. You eventually got there. Cut the concise bit out. I was, I was just setting the scene. Setting the scene. The definition was concise. The scene went on a bit. I admit. I think. I think the only thing that you didn't put into that scene description was how it all smelled. How did it smell, Graham? I don't know if I um. I don't know if this. Maybe one day I'll I'll come across a smell. I think. Oh my god, that reminds me of that flooded auto barn. But there wasn't a smell that actually struck me at the time. Probably lucky it was just dirt. Not like the first time I dropped Susan into the mud. That was an interesting. <laughs> that was her first adventure, falling off a motorcycle. We were in Mexico, and going down a really narrow, narrow path, and hit a rut, and lost the front end, fell over, and I knew it was coming, so I just literally stepped off, and Susan rolled in the mud, which was kind of okay until we both went, "Oh no!" And we looked up the hill, and it was a pig farm. Oh, excellent. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was her first adventure. <laughs> so that so was an adventure for her. <laughs> is Susan still going to be speaking to you after you've just broadcast this story? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we've, we've mentioned that before. It's okay. I mean, what the heck? I mean, it, it, it happens. Things go mm-hmm. wrong. You deal with them. You move on. It's okay. Absolutely. It's about, I think the most important thing about adventure is that as long as you survive it, it's a wonderful adventure and it's a great story. Yep. <laughs> the weed whacker moved on and a helicopter came in. 
I'm sitting here laughing. I, I have to turn the gain down on the microphone so you guys don't hear everything it doesn't hold up in Skype. But but I'm sitting here laughing out loud because it's you couldn't ask for more. <laughs> anyway, so no, um, I'm waiting for the cop to come up and knock on the door. What are you doing? Yeah, really, move along, buddy. <laughs> so to wrap things up, um, Alan from Rocky Mountain Adventure Bike Touring Company says... This is kind of funny. If BMW didn't make motorcycles, or in Graham Field's case, Kawasaki KLR, what would y'all be riding? It doesn't have to be new. So, what what's, what would be your second choice? My first comment is, what? You mean there are other motorcycles than BMW? <laughs> well, there's also other years, Sam, because, you know, they did make bikes after. What year is your bike? <laughs> <laughs> Libby is um, 1992, thank you. 92, so it's fairly new. Yes, exactly. That's a tough one, but I I think personally that it really doesn't matter as long as the bike does the job and I like the feel of it and how it works and it can carry the load I want to carry and go where I want to go. It's fine by me. I'm not fussed. I ride a BMW because I started on one for for a travel bike because at that time for a two-up travel bike there really wasn't anything else. Uh, Just kind of kept with it but i'm not married to a brand at all i'd happily ride a honda or a yamaha or whatever tomorrow doesn't matter does the bike do the job good enough graham well um some time ago when i lived in the states um i was living in my friend's basement and i'd got the flu or something i was really not well not able to move feeling weak and awful and when i after a few days, I reached across to this bookshelf and pulled one of his motorcycle magazines uh, out of the out of the case and opened it. And this is years and years ago, before I did anything significant on a bike. And I started reading about this couple, and I think they were Australian. And they decided they were going to do a round-the-world trip on their bike, which was an XT500. And in this article that I read, and I still remember it now, they and this is before internet, before mobile phones, before any of that, they said, so we wrote to our friends that we had in various countries around the world and told them that at some point in the next year or two, we might be coming to pay them a visit. And I just remember like how archaic that was and, and what an incredible world that must have been in to do a trip like that. Anyway, I have really, since I was probably 20, owned quite a few XT500s, and I love them. Uh, Kickstart only, 6-volt electrics. When you turn on the indicators, the lights dim. and uh, But they're wonderful little bikes. And I think um, if I had to choose, it wouldn't be too difficult a decision to jump on an XT500, throw some soft panniers over it, and try and do something reasonably significant on a bike like that. I can see why the why you're attracted to the bike. We, I don't. I don't think we have those here. The XT five hundred six volt too. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. They're just old. Yeah, yeah. But from, I would not go for a six volt bike if I no, had a I choice. Think, I was going to say sure. the six volt thing I could do without, but the, but the bike sounds great. But for me, I, I'm totally like I, I'm not into brands at all. Uh, I, I just like uh, a bike that does what I want it to. Reliability is really important, and you know that it covers. Uh, the different things that I'm after in a bike at that time, but um, as far as brand, I don't really care. Never has mattered to me for vehicles, motorcycles, anything. Jacques Lucasen said something on our uh, Achievable Dream video series that has, has always struck me as being absolutely 
quintessential bike decider. And he says, it doesn't matter if the bike is perfect for the job. Ride the bike of your heart. Yeah. In other words, if you love it, it's fine. Yeah. And I tell people that all the time now. It doesn't matter what the bike is. It doesn't matter if it's perfect. It doesn't matter if it's the one that everybody says you have to have. Do you like it? If you Mm -hmm. really, truly love the bike and it breaks, you'll fix it and move on. If you are riding the bike that somebody else said you should have and it breaks, you'll be pissed and you'll hate it. (laughs) You won't just keep going. And you'll get more and more and more angry with it the more it breaks. But if your own bike that you love breaks, it's okay, baby. I'll fix you up and we'll keep going. (laughs) And I think that's everything. That's all that matters. Do you love it? Sam, did you have anything to add? Um, yeah, I, I kind of thought about this quite a lot because, you know, I'm conscious that one day maybe Lib will, will wear out and I won't be able to buy spare parts for her anymore and all this sort of stuff. So, And I, I kind of keep an eye on um, what's out there. And we've had conversations on the show in the past about what size bike is, is the right thing. And I, I kind of tend to, to veer towards a sort of um, 650-ish um, size. And I am rather partial of the Kawasaki Versi 650. Um, there are some mods and so on that need to be done to it but actually it's a very very good value value bike that with those mods suspension um wheels and that sort of stuff um uh, fantastic um i don't know an awful lot about the v-strom 650 um but everybody i know that's got one um thoroughly enjoys riding it and say that it's better than a thousand i don't know but um yeah I'm, I'm interested what people are saying. But um, one bike that I have ridden and do like is the CB500X from Honda. It's um, a great little multi-purpose battler. Um, and one of the reasons that I like this bike is because both Berger and I could ride it. Um, you can you can make them so that they're low enough to the ground that somebody who's five foot tall can actually ride it comfortably, and yet somebody who's six one can also feel comfortable on it and yeah i kind of like the thought of that but um i do like my my r80gs <laughs> i guess you've held on to it long enough but if i was just talking about a bike i would get, i would like to get i mean i would love to get a wr250 i mean that would be an amazing bike for me It'd get me into more places that i'd like to get into and uh it'd be fun all around uh, i've noticed the new honda crf 450 the uh often the new off-road and street legal bike replacement, or I shouldn't say replacement, upgrade from a CRF 250L. I think that's going to be an amazing bike. I'd really like to have one of yeah, those. Yeah, but did you see the price on those? Uh, I was just saying they're expensive. Oh, it's that's just the catch. And what a bike. What and a don't bike. they have a horribly short um, service interval on them too? Did I mean that? In, anything yeah, in that class does. Um, mm-hmm. The KTM that's an equivalent to it has, I forget, like six hours or a thousand miles or something. You change the oil. But they only hold like a liter of oil, and that's it. So you have to change it a lot more often. And there are mods for a couple of bikes that are like that, where they put an oil cooler on it and increase the volume of oil. So you can now increase the um, distance before you have to change it. But anything like that, that I'm talking a high-performance off-road that you can ride to the off-road and go adventure riding in the woods on a bike with a nice amount of power, good suspension, and everything else. I think it's awesome. What what do we got for plugs? Um, maybe what we should do is start with Graham. Graham, what do you got for plugs? <coughs> right. Oh God, sorry, my cough's getting worse after all this talking. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Um, nice. So, 
Um, I spoke to Claire today at Piccadilly, and um, I'm sure you'll remember me talking about the Piccadilly thing over the over this year when I went out to Tanzania and her thing that she does for motorcycle ambulances. Well, without going into all the details, because firstly, I don't know, but I'll still try and keep them brief, but to cut a very, very long story short, um, the bureaucracy and the corruption that I saw when I was there reached ahead where when she was trying to apply for her residency, they now demand half a million dollars. Because if you come from the West, you can clearly get your hand on half a million dollars. So this is the corruption at its height. Obviously, she doesn't have half a million dollars and she doesn't believe in cooperating with the terrorists. So she's had to make some very, very bold moves. She can't get a work permit now. Her work permit, by the time this goes to air, will have run out. Um, so what she's had to do with this thing that she's put her heart and soul into, which she can no longer be a part of because she's not allowed to legally work in the country, is through her um, her um, video newsletters and that that she does. She has said to the people who donated, do you mind? We've still got the money. We haven't spent any of it. But what we're going to have to do is regroup. The women who has been who have been trained to ride the ambulance, to drive, ride the ambulances, uh, have been trained in self-defense and medical uh, stuff, first aid and what have you. They're now going to change it so that these ladies will become what they call Buddha Buddhas, which is motorcycle taxis. So they will still be earning a living. They will still be providing to the community the money that was donated. And she's contacted every person who donated and that all but one were cool with it. And um, so what they're going to do now is have motorcycle taxis. Um, they still use the workshop for the maintenance of it, although she won't be allowed to be there or be a part of it. So the workshop that was built through crowdfunding will still be used by the original women and a base for the mechanics to do work on the motorcycles. The women will not be doing motorcycle ambulances at this point, but will be do, still providing uh, a service within the community as highly trained motorcycle taxi riders, as opposed to the ones who um, were slightly less highly trained. Um, and it's all going forward with a, a brainwave and a save the day um, sort of idea. Now, what she wants, what she would like is, if anybody's got any old jackets they no longer wear, she wants the armour out of them. The shoulder pads, the elbow pads, the hip pads, the knee pads, because in Tanzania on the equator, it's super hot and quite humid. And they want to make their own safety clothing. They, there's no room for Gore-Tex and, and proper clothing. But what they want is protection of the places that hit the road. Uh, should you fall off so that firstly the ladies who right who are going to do the taxis can have some protection but secondly so that when they're not working they can actually use those to make clothing for other motorcycle taxi drivers and riders so and also motocross style gloves not big hot gloves or anything like that but motorcycle gloves now she's going to have collection points at various um overland meetings um, and then we'll put details of that hopefully on the show notes. So my plug is more of a plea. If you've got any old jackets or stuff that you no longer use or are sitting in the cupboard, she would really like to have the armour out of them so they can be reused, put to good use. Um, and if you don't have any, 
if perhaps you'd like to donate anything for the postage of the armour to get to Tanzania, that would also be very nice as well. So that's my plea, once again, on behalf of the new face of Piccadilly. And if you go to their website, you will see exactly what's going on, exactly what happened. It'll be explained far better than I have. So, yeah, old armour out of your old jackets. That's my plug plea. And that's me done. So what happens to Claire now? Is she staying there locally? She can stay there as a uh, non-working resident, I think. Um, it's very complex. But the try I mean, she's been trying for almost two years to get residency. And then oh, we've, after about 18 months, oh, we've lost your application. You need to do it again. And then when she went through it again, then the corruption started on a higher level and they were just demanding ridiculous amounts of money. I mean, just how much have you got? That's how much it's going to cost you. And the thing is, you'll never win with those people ever. (laughs) So she's just had to say enough is enough. You know, it it means nothing that the organisation is there to help the country or anything like that. Um, so she's just, and, and I saw her, she was not, she's not being able to do the work she wanted to do because she is constantly pulled to various bureaucratic offices to deal with various demands. And that's the way the system is. It's so backwards. That's just, a, it's bizarre because I mean, she's there trying to do something for the very people that the government is supposed to be there for. I mean, that's just horrible. It's, um, I, I mean, I, I, I admire uh, stay in power because my attitude would have not been quite as positive and uh, she has she absolutely continues to fight in the face of 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 bureaucracy and 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 almost blackmail you know the corruption is just horrendous but it's her vocation and she's continuing to do the best she can so i admire her for that i really admire her too because i mean this is a real overlanding sort of attitude isn't it you put your heart and soul into trying to make something work and then things go pear-shaped in front of you and instead of giving up she's finding another way to make good stuff happen um and i just yeah i huge respect for her um just finding a way to allow these ladies who've worked so hard to learn um, how to ride, how to do the mechanicing, et cetera, et cetera, and all of the help that everybody has given through the crowdfunding and so on, rather than just letting it fizzle away and go down the drain to find another really, really good way of using the skills and investment. I think that's absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, part of me, this this is the, the horribly optimistic Sam. There's a little part of me that just hopes that, you know, with the, all of those skills not dying, because we're all going to help it keep going, um, then maybe, just maybe, at some time in the future, the plan can be brought back to life again. Well, this is it. It's not It's not aborted. It's just kind of postponed at the moment. I mean, she's got another volunteer out there at the moment who heard what we said on Adventure Rider Radio and all came out purely on the basis of that. So there's no shortage of help and, and goodwill. Um, and I think she probably will overcome. But, I mean, I was honoured that she called me, this is some time ago, to tell her about the replanning of Piccadilly and what she would do now. And I listened attentively and I thought, I can't fault that plan. That is absolutely perfect. If she'd covered everything, she'd thought of everything, it sounded great. So, yeah. Yeah, and you have to say something for the people that have given the money as well, who had the opportunity to claw their money back and say, I mean, except for that one you said, um, you have to say something for those people who just say, yeah, you know, I, I'm still backing you. 
Yeah. Oh, but so the money that was donated, which was going to be for other things, is now to buy five brand new Honda motorcycles um, because a lot of the, the taxi drivers use the sort of uh, the Chinese imports. So they're going to have good quality motorcycles. So that's what the money's used for. So it's not wasted on any level. It's it's just being a slightly different to the original plan. So yeah, it's all happening. Graham, was I right in understanding that there wasn't enough money to buy? Um, all of the bikes that were needed and that Claire was um, looking for some help with that. You know, I watched the video and I wasn't quite sure about something. So when I spoke to her today, I said, um, I wasn't quite sure about this. Did you have the money or did you not? Because I missed that bit. And she told me the answer and I've forgotten it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we'll have to find that out directly from her. Okay. what? So that's your, that's your plug. That's my plug. Okay, well done. Sam, what do you got? Oh, my um, my brain's completely in my wardrobe at the moment. In your wardrobe? Yeah, no, I'm busy going through um, a couple of old bike jackets that I've got up there and thinking, oh, actually, yeah, there's some pretty good protective gear in those. I know what I'll be doing after the show tonight. Out of your wardrobe closet, what do you have for a plug? Right, okay. Um, I have two, and so I'm going to be really greedy tonight. Um, the first one is just to thank everybody who made a point of linking up with me on the last USA trip because, yeah, lots of new friends made, and it was fantastic to link up with um, old friends. Even if there were old friends online and we'd never actually met face-to-face, the opportunity was just brilliant. The other thing is the, the next main event that I've got coming up is um, the Overland event, um, which is being held um, just outside Oxford in the UK. And that's from August the 31st until September the 2nd. Uh, this is just um, a wonderful overlanding event. There's um, authors, there's presentations, there's equipment companies, um, and the, the venue is just beautiful. It's the first time that I've ever been to an overlanding event where it feels like you're walking on somebody's top quality lawn. Um, oh, and there's lots of beer as well, and I gather that's very good. But of course, you know me, I never drink, so I, I never tried that. But um, yeah, I hope we're going to get lots of people to that. Um, this is, I think, the fourth year it's run. And um, the, the last year I was quite impressed because I saw um, a huge number of people who have done significant trips. And the beauty of it was that there were absolutely no airs and graces between those people and the people who were just sticking their toes in the overlanding water for the first time. And watching the expressions on people's faces and the conversations that were striking up between strangers, was just brilliant to watch. I really enjoy events like this. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Horizons um, events are just like it too. And, um, yeah, fantastic. Um, I'm very much on? looking forward to it. Who's putting it on, Sam? Um, Overland Magazine. Oh, nice. Okay. Mm. And the uh, date? It's really good. Uh, the date is um, August the 31st to September the 2nd. Okay. Well, Shirley, what do you have for us for a plug? Um, I really don't have anything for a plug. Um, the only thing, it's nothing to do with motorcycling, but if I can just mention it very, very quickly, um, we're going to a cocktail party. Sounds very posh. But it's a fundraiser for a home in Tanzania that looks after orphans, and it's run by, um, it was started by a, a young woman from Melbourne where we live, and uh, she set up this home and they've got about uh, 15 kids there and they put them all the way through high school and then look after them into early adulthood um, and it's called Ujima. So it's a really good cause even though it's not a, um, a motorcycle cause. 
Hmm. When do you go to that? Uh, tomorrow night. We're going down to the big smoke back into the city for it. Right. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's held in a, um, uh, a car collection garage. There's a fellow by the name of Lindsay Fox down here in Australia who has a heap of very, very collectible cars. So they're holding it there. So I've got a few of my mates coming along and we're all donating and raising money to look after the orphanage uh, over in uh, Tanzania. And then lust after cars that even in your wildest dreams you couldn't afford. <laughs> um, you know, the old-fashioned uh, motorcycle mechanics that you'd go to and uh, you could sit there and chew the, and chew the fat with the, um, with the owner and all the rest of it, well, down here in um, central Victoria, there's a bloke who's just started up a, um, a shop uh, for Triumphs and older Triumphs, and he tunes carbies by ear and none of this computerisation and all that sort of stuff. But um, he's actually quite a good guy, and he started up this um, thing called Triumph Performance Parts, which is online. And for anyone here in Australia who has an old Triumph and really wants to get it working properly, um, Gary Hunt is his name. Gary actually races on the salt here, and he, I think he's taken his Bonneville up to uh, – I could be wrong here, but I think it was 152 mile an hour on the salt, which is not bad. So um, he's, uh, he's a great guy, and I know people – uh, are uh, travelling to see him and uh, get their bikes tuned by him from all over um, the um, uh, bottom part of Australia because he's so good at it. So if anyone's interested and needs to have a, um, a Triumph fettled and fettled by someone who knows a fair bit about him, contact um, Gary Hunter at Triumph Performance Parts. He's online with triumphperformanceparts.com.au, I think it is, and um, he's in the little uh, lovely little village of Malden, which is... Um, uh, his address is Main Street, Malden, and really you can walk the Main Street and it's about 100 yards long, So, but a beautiful little shop. So, um, yeah, there you go. I hope Gary gets some business out of this and um, he does well. Well, Grant, do you have a plug? Yes, I do. <laughs> As always, it's all about the Horizons Elevated Travelers meetings. <laughs> We've got... Uh, Oh, I'm trying to even, can't even remember right now what's coming next. I've been going busy, busy, busy. I've been to Arizona and Ontario. And now, let's see, what have we got coming up? Right now, of course, we're at Hub UK, which is awesome. We're just really looking forward to everybody arriving starting tomorrow. Um, Russia is next weekend. Hopefully, the show will be out before then, and people have a chance to get to the Russia meeting. It's near Moscow. And Sweden, I think, is sold out already. It's just a very, very small meeting, but the first time in Sweden. Uh, Ecuador, anybody in South America, Ecuador, July 20 to 22. You got an awesome new location there. I think it's going to be great. Raul is a real serious motorcycle traveler. He owns the place. So that's going to be a fun event. And of course, we've got the Hamanashis coming up July 20 to 22nd as well. So those are the coming up events. And the new one after that is HU Mongolia. So if you're in the Mongolia area, check that one out. Okay, so we got those done, and I, I guess we're just going to wrap things up. Hey, Mongolia seems to be really coming up in in everything now. You're hearing, I just seem to be hearing a lot more about it as far as a riding destination. Yeah, it's there's so much you can do there. The, the riding is amazing. The scenery is great. The people are really friendly. They're very inviting, welcoming you into their homes. Um, I think it's a great place to go. Uh, Graham, you went to, you went there, but you didn't. You turned around, didn't you? You didn't get very far. No, no, I totally went through it oh, and then you? broke oh, okay. down and then went through it a bit more. <laughs> so, uh, 
yeah, that was in 2010, eight years ago. I think it's one of those wonderful places, those incredible experiences that were so good, you wouldn't want to repeat it just in case the memories were, <laughs> would like take the memories. Um, it's become increasingly popular destination and for understandable reasons, but the memories I have are so clear and so pure. I don't think I ever want to go back because I knew when I left it there would never be another first time for me to experience Mongolia. And I don't think I want to have a second time. I think I'll just keep it as pure as it was. Mm. Graham, you do realise that, you know, you're part of the reason that Mongolia has become as popular as it has. I might be a small contribution to it, but there are other people who you can blame more. (laughs) Okay, well, I guess that wraps things up. I I think we got a good one here, despite weed whacking and helicopters and things like that that was was really good should leave all of that in Jim yeah Yeah, I guess I good luck with the editing Jim yeah I know (laughs) (laughs) I do my hands this is raw remember raw just play it out It's 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 actually kind of fun, you know. I mean, even hearing the magpies um, knocking at Brian and Shirley's door for their breakfast, mm-hmm. um, it, it's it's one of the things that makes this show because everybody's on the move and everybody's doing something different. And um, one of the guys that I talked to at one of the shows that I did um, this last trip to the states, he he said, "I'm not quite sure how um, Jim manages to get all of you corralled into one place at one time." to do the recording so it is noted out there how mm. difficult it is well it's not me doing it's all it's everybody just everybody just coordinating i mean i think it, it's amazing that we managed to keep pulling it off despite a hitch or two <laughs> yeah despite somebody late once in a while <laughs> well thank you very much everyone yep and thanks uh, jim yep so thanks for your patience thanks for calling jim call anytime <laughs> Well, that wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw. I'd like to thank my co-hosts, starting with Graham Field, who lives in Bulgaria. He's the author of some really great motorcycle adventure books. He's also got an audio book out. Um, he's got t-shirts, more available at his website, www.gramfield.co.uk. And of course, that link is in our show notes. Oh, and by the way, he is the home of the Pannier box set of books. If you don't know what that is, you should. And if you don't have it, well, you should have it. Drop by his website, www.gramfield.co.uk. And again, that link is in our show notes. Sam Manicom lives in the UK. He's got four books and audio books for you to follow along in his eight-year motorcycle adventure around the world. He writes various other articles for different magazines and things. And he is everywhere for adventure motorcycling. He is a true adventure motorcyclist. Drop by his website, www.sam-manicom.com and see what he has there. And of course, you can get his books and audio books anywhere books are sold. I think for all of uh, our co-hosts, you, you can do the same. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks also have some great moto travel books and articles that they do. Um, as a matter of fact, Brian's a regular contributor to an Australian uh, bike magazine and is doing very well with that. 
They're available anywhere you can get ebooks throughout the world. Drop by their website as well, www.aussiesoverland.com.au. And of course, Grant Johnson, he is from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub literally for the adventure motorcycle community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information as well as just a huge forum of uh, connected travelers from around the world. So I mean, if you're traveling, you're interested in traveling, you want to know something, or even just curious, this is your website, seriously. www.horizonsunlimited.com. They also put on the hub meets around the world. We, we talk about it on this one. We, um, Grant saying he was at the, um, the Baskerville Hall for this one in the UK. Of course, it's over now. You have to sign up for it next year. Anyway, drop by their website and see what they've got going on. They've got hub meets just about everywhere. So I'm sure you can find one as a destination to ride to this summer. www.horizonsunlimited.com. I also want to give a special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. My name's Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening. We really appreciate it. See you next month. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Before I go, I just wanted to remind you to consider dropping by the website. As a matter of fact, drop by the website. We have so much information on there that you can look at uh, from all the different shows that we do www.adventureriderradio.com but I was going to encourage you to look at our support button and consider um, any sort of support whether it's a monthly support or a one-off support um, we would absolutely love to have it and we appreciate it and don't forget anything $50 or more gets your name mentioned here on The Raw Show our way of showing our appreciation anyway thanks very much 